What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast with Joey Maylari. Uh, first off, I want to start off uh, by apologizing uh, for not having an episode uh, for over a week now. Um, there's a lot to talk about now, so I guess um, this will be an action-packed uh, episode. I'm probably going to put out another one, uh, hopefully in the next day or two, uh, to talk about how the Stanley Cup playoffs has gone um, in the College World Series. I won't be doing that tonight. Um, but I'm excited to update you guys on what has been going on over the past week, um, week and a half that is, in the world of sports. Um, so to start off, um, I will break down what happened in Games 5 and 6 of the NBA Finals, um, and then offer some statistics about how the Celtics star players, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, um, feared against the Warriors star players overall in the series, um, and that being Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Andrew Wiggins. Um, after that, I will move on to... Uh, some headlines within the NBA. I'm going to stay on topic uh, within the NBA for the majority of this. A lot of it's going to be about uh, basketball. Um, I'm going to talk about some headlines, including Kyrie Irving's potential uh, departure from Brooklyn and what that would mean uh, for the NBA landscape. Um, and then at the end, I'm going to preview uh, tonight's NBA draft, give my predictions for the lottery picks, 1 through 14. Uh, for tonight's draft, um, and then also highlight some guys I think that will be available and that the Celtics and Clippers, uh, as you guys know, I, I like the Clippers as well, uh, who the Clippers and Celtics uh, should keep their eye on for their second-round pick since both teams uh, do not have a first-round pick in this year's draft. Uh, this is actually the second straight year the Celtics do not have a first-round pick. Um, the Celtics' first-round pick in this year's draft was traded to San Antonio um, for Derek White um, around the trade deadline, and uh, I'm going to get into how Derek White played in the last couple games the NBA Finals. Um, but then anyways, at the end, um, I'll finish up with with a few minutes talking about baseball, uh, specifically how the Red Sox have been playing uh, lately, and then some headlines uh, within the MLB, uh, including Shohei Otani's historic last two games uh, at the plate and then on the mound. Um, anyways, to start off, uh, the Celtics-Warriors uh, NBA Finals. I know the last time I was on here, was it was Game 4. Uh, right before Game 4, I think I said I had the Warriors winning that game. They ended up winning uh, to tie the series 2-2. And then after that... Um, things just went downhill for the Celtics, games four, five, and six, losing three straight. Uh, the Warriors ended up winning uh, their fourth ring in the last eight years. Um, they defended, uh, defeated the Celtics um, in six games, um, which was my original prediction. I did have the I did have Golden State winning at six, um, but it's still tough to see. Um, I always come on here and give my honest opinions, uh, and, and, and I saw Golden State being the better team and winning at six games, but of course I was rooting for the Celtics, so it's tough to see the Celtics go down. Um, so... Anyways, to begin, uh, game five, the Celtics lost 109, uh, excuse me, 104 to 94, lost by 10 points. Um, it was a weird game. The Warriors actually, uh, missed 14 straight threes at one point, um, after the Celtics missed the, their first 12 threes. The Celtics started the game 0 of 12 from three, um, and then ended up going on a run. The Celtics hit eight straight threes, um, in the start of the second half and took the lead. Um, in the Warriors, over that stretch when the Celtics, you know, hit eight straight threes, the Warriors missed 14 threes um, around that stretch. Um, and the Celtics went on a 19-4 to run. Um, and then the Celtics were cold again. Uh, only five points in the first eight minutes and 30 seconds of the fourth quarter for Boston. Um, Tatum was brutal, missing free throws left and right. Mid-range jumpers weren't falling. He was frustrated, clearly. Um, he did not have a good NBA Finals at all, which I'm going to break down um, when I talk about uh, how things went overall uh, for both teams. But... This all came on a Steph Curry off night. Steph, Steph Curry's played in 132 up, up until Game 5. Played in 132 career playoff games. 
and hit a three-pointer in every single one of them. And the funny thing actually is I was doing uh, some research before game four and I was looking at Steph Curry's career game logs um, in the NBA finals, uh, in NBA playoffs in general, excuse me. And I saw he, he's never not had a three in an NBA playoff game. And I highlighted that actually um, in my notes. I didn't talk about it though uh, within my last episode, but I guess I cursed him kind of like I cursed uh, the LA Angels. I had the Angels, uh, you know, being in the, in the, in the World Series against the Dodgers. That was my prediction on, I believe it was May 23rd or May 24th, and then uh, they ended up losing 14 straight games. So I guess I'm not uh, I'm not the best uh, good luck charm for some teams. Um, but anyway, Steph Curry, sorry he's never not had an NBA game uh, in the playoffs without hitting a three. And lo and behold, um, game five was that night. Um, he did not hit a three-pointer. His first game since November 2018, actually, um, in general, that he didn't hit a three uh, in a game. Um, and that was his 133rd playoff game. So it took him 132 playoff games. Uh, before game five, he hit a three in every one and took until his 133rd playoff game to not uh, hit a three-pointer. So that just shows how dominant of a shooter he is. He doesn't really have many off nights, especially if the last time he didn't have a game where he hit a three was when I was a senior in high school in November 2018. Uh, it's actually nuts. Uh, but anyway, Steph did not have a good game in game five. Uh, it was 7 of 22 from the floor, 16 points, 0 of 9 from three. Uh, did add eight assists, so um, he was a good playmaker out there. It definitely opened up the floor still, even on an off night, 7 of 22 from the floor. Um, the Celtics defense has to collapse on him and, and, and watch him from three. Um, so it opens up uh, some lanes for other, for other guys to score. So eight assists for him, four rebounds, two steals. Um, Andrew Wiggins actually was the star of the game. The storyline of the game uh, was how much he picked up uh, Steph Curry slack for Game 5. He absolutely went off. Um, 12 of 23 from the field. Uh, 0 of 6 from 3, so it wasn't really great from beyond the arc, obviously. But 13 rebounds, had a block, a steal, um, 26 points. Um, had his career high uh, in rebounds, um, actually. Uh, it was in Game 4, he had 16. Um, and then in Game 5, he had 13 rebounds, which was the second most uh, rebounds he ever had in a single game of his career. So his previous career high in rebounds before Game uh, 4 in, in Game 5 um, was 11. And then he grabbed uh, 16, obviously, in Game 4, and then 13 in Game uh, 5. So Game 5 was another great game for Wiggins. Um, he just played out of his mind for Golden State. Um, and, and honestly, he made a case at one point. I know Steph Curry deserved Finals MVP, but at one at one point, though, uh, he was definitely probably the second or third favorite to win it uh, just because of how well he was playing, um, especially on an off night. Steph Curry doesn't have many off nights. Andrew Wiggins was the star of Golden State that night. It was a big reason they won that game. Um, another reason Golden State won that game, the Celtics bench. I mean, I'm going to go on about this uh, probably for a couple minutes, but the Celtics bench in their depth was was awful, and that's a big need. The Celtics going into the offseason, uh, the Celtics actually have a lot uh, to figure out and a lot to uh, help improve this team. I still think they need at least two or three guys off the bench uh, that can give you maybe 8 to 10, 12 points a game. Um, they need another backup, uh, maybe a center for so Robert Williams could take a little bit more time uh, on the bench um, in rest. I definitely think they need a point guard, a full general. I don't think the Celtics can go on any longer without a true point guard. Um, I do love Marcus Smart. I think you should keep him, but uh, just because Grady is how Grady is on defense. But I think the Celtics need a floor general point guard to really slow the tempo down. Uh, with the Celtics and their turnovers, they need a point guard that they can depend on to bring up the ball, slow the offense down, calm everyone down. Kind of like a Chris Paul. You're not going to get Chris Paul, obviously, but uh, maybe a guy like Mike Conley uh, that can come over and, and try to help out. Um, 
maybe Ricky Rubio, something like that. Uh, I think the Celtics really could benefit from a true point guard, um, especially since the Celtics do not have one. I mean, they, they really could use one uh, to slow the tempo down. Um, and, and that's the thing. The Celtics bench, uh, their depth, their depth was awful. Um, the Celtics had 10 points, 10 bench points uh, in, in game five. And six of those 10 bench points came in the last minute of the game. Uh, and, and three of them uh, came from Aaron Neesmith. Uh, uh, I think he had a layup in, or three free throws it was. And then Luke Cornett added um, a three as well off the bench uh, with a minute to go. Uh, but that's just not enough. Kind of seemed like everyone just gave up um, in that last minute anyways. So the six points from those two really don't matter um, too much. From those two guys, if you want to count and say they had 10 bench points, go ahead. But six of them came from you know the last minute of the game in garbage time when Golden State gave up. So the Celtics legitimately had four bench points um, and Golden State had 31. Um, so being outscored 31 to four off the bench is just not something uh, you can win many games with. That's just pathetic. Uh, and that's something the Celtics need to figure out in the offseason is their depth. But that's the thing. They really have to figure out their bench. Um, and that's a big reason Golden State uh, was the better team, I felt like, overall. Especially if, I mean, if Luke Cornett, you know, hits a three off the bench in, in you know, Aaron D. Smith obviously has three points. Six of those points, they outscored basically your bench of Derek White and, and Grant Williams. And, and that, that, that you can't have, especially with how many minutes Grant Williams and, and Derek White were getting. Um, but credit to Luke Cornett, though. He, he had a three. Uh, he had more threes in Game 5 than Steph Curry. So I guess that's a stat uh, he'll have for the rest of his career to boast about. Um, but anyways, though, Derek White was awful uh, in Game 5. 0 of 4 from the floor. Uh, 0 of 3 from 3. 1 point, 3 assists. Um, had a steal. Um, and then Grant Williams... Another awful game uh, off the bench. Three points off one or two uh, shooting, three rebounds, an assist, two blocks. Um, and the reason why I say awful games, I mean, these guys, you know, averaging eight to ten points a game in every other series, and then they just come up flat in games five and six in the NBA Finals. And the Celtics really had to run a five-man rotation, essentially, in game six, uh, which I'm going to get into. But uh, they really just had no help off the bench. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't just blame the bench, too. I know the bench only having four points. You're not going to win, really, any games with that. But uh, the starters struggled as well. Um, Jalen uh, Brown uh, shot 5 of 18 from the floor for 18 points. 0 of 5 from 3. Um, lost his handles a ton. Um, had five turnovers, uh, which definitely didn't help the Celtics out at all. Um, did have nine rebounds uh, to go along with four assists and a steal, but um, wasn't enough. And then Jason Tatum, I mean, uh, another bad performance from him. Um uh, at least defensively. Uh, Scoring-wise, let's see what he had. He was 10 of 20 from the floor, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, no steals and no blocks, so he wasn't really contributing much on the defensive end. Um, it did also commit 4 turnovers. So, 9 turnovers, or, yeah, nine turnovers between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown once again. Um, that's just, you can't have, especially at two-stop plays. They have to handle the ball. I mean, Jalen Brown's a god. He's got to be able to dribble the ball better. And then also you look at Jason Tatum uh, being, you know, supposed to be, um, in a lot of people's eyes, a top 5 to 10 player in the NBA. I think he's just outside of that. I think he's around top 15, uh, maybe top 16, 17. But uh, if you're going to be in that range, uh, you need to be able to handle the ball better. And he was very careless um, in the NBA Finals. Um 
and, and no steals and no blocks. I know he's contributing uh, on the defensive end um, a little more um, in this playoffs, but uh, none in Game 5 uh, did not help the Celtics. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, um, that was another struggling point for the Celtics. Just as they're inching closer, um, they shot 4-15 of 15, uh, in the fourth, and the Warriors were 12-24 of 24, uh, from the floor. So the Warriors were just better finishes than the Celtics. I think that's one thing uh, that you can see uh, now after the series. You can see the Warriors were better um, in closer games, closing games. Um, they were also just better, more experienced, obviously, but I feel like they were the better team um, as well because they had better depth, um, even though they didn't play that many guys. You know, they typically played seven, eight, nine guys a game maybe, but, I mean, if you, if you could imagine how good this team could be, you could only imagine how good this team could be if they played, you know, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, if they, you know, trusted those two to get, you know, more minutes, more important minutes. I mean, this team uh, would be right up there, uh, especially if James Wiseman was healthy. I mean, they'd, they'd have the most depth uh, in the league, um, right up there with the Clippers. I still think the Clippers have the most depth, uh, which I'll get into at the end. Um, but anyways... The Warriors were just better finishes than the Celtics. Um, and the Warriors didn't shoot well at all in Game 5. They were really cold, actually. Obviously, Steph going 0 of 9 from 3 uh, doesn't help, but they shot 22.5% from 3. The Celtics shot fairly well from 3, uh, 34.4%, um, so better than the Warriors um, by just about 12%. Um, the Celtics dominated the glass again in this game, out-rebounded the Warriors 47-39, to 39, um, but... They only added two stales um, and two blocks. The Warriors had nine stales. Um, and, and the Celtics starters only had one stale, and Jalen Brown had that stale, um, and no blocks. So the Celtics defense, especially from their starters in, in general, on, honestly, um, wasn't great at all. Um, and Robert Williams actually finished uh, the game uh, with the only positive plus-minus on the Celtics. Um, he was 10 of uh, 10 points off uh, four or five shooting uh, with eight rebounds. Um, but he was the only Celtic that played quality minutes and had a positive plus minus, uh, which just shows uh, how ineffective a lot of the Celtics players were in Game 5. Um, and honestly, I, I felt like the Warriors just had better depth since they had guys come off the bench uh, that were just putting up numbers offensively that typically don't put up any stats um, on the offensive end, and, and, and that's Gary Payton, um, who isn't a scorer by any means, um, it, it, but he had 15 off the bench in Game 5 off 6 of 8 shooting, 5 rebounds, 3 steals. And as I said, Gary Payton II is not going to be scoring uh, many points. Um, but in the NBA Finals, he came up big in a big moment. Um, and, and honestly, um, was a big reason the Warriors won um, games five and six, uh, just because of how much he contributed off the bench. And that comes from a guy that I believe is a G League, G League player. So he really made his way up. Um, so I'm happy to see him, uh, you know, show that his grind was all well worth it. Um, winning an NBA finals coming from the G League, uh, when all the odds are against you, uh, that's just great. Um, and, I, and obviously I'm a Celtics fan, so I'm rooting for the Celts, but, uh, I like seeing some of those stories like that, where a guy comes up, uh, from the G League, never really having a shot. I think he was actually cut by the Warriors this season, Steve Kerr said, um, in that, uh, I think the GM, uh, you know, said to Gary Payton II, like, hey, you know, you're going to be cut, um, and then Gary Payton said, can I still come in and work out tomorrow? And, uh, you know, the GM found a way to keep him around, uh, in Golden State, but, um, shows he's, he's got a good work, at, uh, work ethic, um, and tries hard, um, especially, I mean, 15 points off the bench. He's not really a scorer of six of eight shooting. Uh, that was great. So. Anyways, um, so besides Gary Payton the second, Clay Thompson actually had a good game in Game Five, um, seven of fourteen from the field uh, to go along with five of eleven shooting from three. So five threes, um, at least he contributed um, a solid amount on the offensive end. Twenty-one points, two steals. Um, so he definitely made a difference out there. And then 
Obviously, the Celtics kind of just shot themselves in the foot uh, with the amount of turnovers um, they committed every single game uh, in the NBA Finals. And, and another thing is the Celtics couldn't shoot free throws. I mean, besides turning the ball over, you're not going to win games if you can't shoot free throws in, in, in you're turning the ball over. And uh, let's see, the Celtics were 21 of 31, uh, which is 67.7% uh, from the free throw line in Game 5. Golden State was 13 of 15, 86.7%. Um, and then you look at the turnovers. That's another uh, story. Uh, the Warriors had 22 points off the Celtics' 18 turnovers, so that's a big margin right there. Um, and the Warriors actually, which just comes from ESPN, uh, through Game 5, the Warriors had 103 points off turnovers, um, which was the most by any team in the NBA Finals ever through the first five games uh, since 1992. So that's just crazy. Um, it just shows how much the Celtics struggled uh handling the ball, and that's why I think they need a true point guard, a, a, a floor general that's going to calm the team down in big moments when they're just so prone to turning the ball over, Tatum dribbling it off his knee, Jalen Brown losing his handles, you know, trying to do a crossover. The Celtics need a true point guard, um, and I think it really showed um, in the NBA Finals how important that is. Um, anyways, uh, another, another storyline was the paint. Uh, the Warriors obviously were out-rebounded by the Celtics, uh, but they dominated in the paint. Um, 50 points to the Celtics, 16, uh, 36, excuse me. So that's a 14-point uh, margin there. Um, they actually handed the Celtics their first back-to-back loss um, since March 28th and March 30th um, in, the, in the regular season. Um, and then their first time losing back-to-back games uh, with Jason Tatum in the lineup was January 19th and January 21st. So... All of that added up uh, to a big Golden State win. Um, and then in Game 6, um, at Boston, the Celtics needed uh, to, to, to force a Game 7 and win at home at the TD Garden and came up short, losing 103-90. to um, In Game 6, once again, the turnover woes for the Celtics um, was a big storyline. 22 turnovers for the Celtics. Golden State did have 15, so they weren't handling the ball um, too efficiently themselves. But uh, they did force 22 turnovers of the Celtics. Or should I say the Celtics? force themselves to turn the ball over 22 times. Since a lot of the Celtics' turnovers are just so careless, Jason Tatum will just hand the ball away, it seems like, at times. seems like he just doesn't care a, a lot of the time. He'll turn the ball over three times out of five possessions. It, it won't make a difference uh, to him um, at times. That's what it looks like, especially in the NBA Finals. I mean, uh, the Celtics were getting out-hustled. Um, Golden State obviously had more juice. They have more playoff experience, more NBA Finals experience, but that's not an excuse. Um, anyways, uh, the Celtics bench, once again, another storyline. Um, the Celtics only had five points off the bench, um, after essentially having four points off the bench in game five. Um, since I don't really consider the Luke Cornette three and the Aaron Neesmith three points in the last minute of the game, really bench points. I mean, if you want to say the Celtics had 10 points off the bench in game five, and then only five points in game six. The way I see it was the Celtics had four points off the bench in game five and five points off the bench in game six. And that's just a huge... Uh, differential between what the Warriors were giving uh, off the bench. Uh, Jordan Poole uh, in Game 6 was 5 of 12 from the floor, 15 points. Um, his Game 6 point total of 15 points was more than the Celtics had off the bench in Games 5 and 6. Say the Celtics had you know 5 points off the bench in Game 6, which they did, and then 4 points in my eyes in Game 5. Um, that's nine points off the bench. Um, but he matches the Celtics' point total. If you want to consider the Celtics having ten points off the bench in Game 5, and don't make it a big fuss about this, but say the Celtics had ten points off the bench in Game 5, five points off the bench in Game 6, that 15 points is the same as how much uh, Jordan Poole had off the bench um, in Game 6, 15 points. 
Um, and that just shows the Celtics have no depth, um, something they need to fix um, in the offseason. Uh, so specifically uh, in the Celtics, um, struggles off the bench. Uh, Derek White, another bad performance. Um, he was one of six from the floor, um, two points in 16 uh, minutes and 27 seconds. Had a mini- minus 26 uh, plus minus, uh, which is just nuts. Um, had two re- two assists and a rebound. Um, and then Grant Williams, another bad performance. Minus 18 rating uh, in 15 uh, minutes and 51 seconds of work. Uh, one or two from the floor with three points, a rebound, um, an assist, and a block. Um, and you just weren't getting any offensive contribution from these guys. So you got a combined five points from Derek White and Grant Williams, uh, which was all five of your bench points uh, in game six. And then combined had two rebounds, one rebound apiece, Three assists, two re- two assists for Derek White, one assist for Grant Williams, um, and then one block combined between the two and no steals. Uh, so you weren't getting any help on the offensive end and no help on the defensive end from either of those two, uh, which is just something the Celtics uh, really needed. They needed something out of those two guys, maybe eight points, ten points. Uh, it makes a difference. Um, and I'm going to get into Draymond Green, how well he played in Game 6. His contribution of, I believe it was ten points, uh, made all the difference of the world uh, at the end of the day. It was 12 points, actually. But it made all the difference at the end of the world uh, it, because the Celtics knew, okay, Draymond's, you know, hit a couple threes and you kind of have to guard him now. You can't leave him wide open. It makes the other team have to game plan and spread the floor a little more um, for, on offense for Golden State uh, with, with Draymond hitting some shots. It opens up the floor a little bit. So if Draymond Green can do that and spread open the floor a little bit, Grant Williams, Derek White should be able to do the same. If they came off the bench and hit a couple threes here and there, it opens up the floor, opens up opportunities for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, to drive down the lane, uh, maybe kick it out uh, to them for three. But uh, the bench was just a big, big disparity uh, between the two, the Golden State Warriors and the Celtics. Um, And that's just something the Celtics need to fix um, in the offseason. They need to figure things out there. Um, Anyways... As of what happened in the game, the Celtics started the game hot, actually. Um, they were up 10 at one point um, in the first quarter. Um, they were shooting threes well, driving well um, in the first few minutes of the game. And then it just kind of all went downhill. They allowed a 30-8 to Golden State run. Um, the Warriors ended the first quarter on an 11-0 to run. Um, and the Warriors actually had a 21-0 run at one point, um, which was the longest scoring run um, in the last 50 years of the NBA Finals. So... It just shows, and I talked about this in my NBA Finals preview, uh, probably, you know, my third, fourth episode, whatever it was. I said the Celtics are going to struggle with trying to slow down Golden State's runs. Golden State can put 10 points up on you, 15 points up on you in a blink because of how well they can shoot threes and how well they play in transition. Um, and that was just the story of Game 6. The Warriors going on a 21-0 run kind of just killed the Celtics' chances. Um and the Celtics, I mean, kind of shot themselves in the foot once again. They didn't score for four minutes and 40 seconds um, at one point um, in that run. Um, in the Celtics, I mean, they ended up, you know, making up for it a little bit. They went on a 16-4 to run to finish the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter down 10 points. Um, but trailing uh, by 10 was just a big margin for the Celtics uh, to come back from in the fourth quarter, um, considering... You know, they weren't getting much of Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter at all in the NBA Finals. Um, that's who you really need to step up in the fourth quarter to try to uh, cut the deficit in half and get the Celtics back in the game. Anyways, um, the Celtics uh, really didn't get much uh, besides Jalen Brown and, and, and Al Horford. Uh, Jalen Brown had 34 points off 12 of 23 shooting, 
5 of 11 from 3, so he shot the 3 well, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, did have 5 turnovers, so the turnovers, once again, for Jalen, uh, was just a catastrophe. Um, Tatum actually also had 5 turnovers, so 10 turnovers combined between the two. They just both can't stop turning the ball over. Um, they were actually number 1 and number 2 in the NBA uh, playoffs um, this postseason uh, in turnovers. Tatum had 100, uh, which was the most, actually, in NBA uh, playoffs history. Um, he's the only one with 100 ever. Um, he had the most ever in the NBA in a single postseason. Um, then Jalen Brown was second with 73, I believe. Um, Al Horford um, was solid for the Celtics, 19 points off 6 of 8 shooting, so he was efficient. Um, 14 rebounds. A lot of those were key rebounds, too, to try to give the Celtics a chance to come back. Um, he did have two steals, two assists, um, a block, and did shoot four or five from three. So uh, he had a good night from three, um, but it was just too much for the Celtics with how much the the Warriors were getting uh, offensively, uh, offensive contributions from other guys. Steph Curry recovered well in game six, which everyone knew he would after a horrible game five. Everyone in the world knew Steph Curry wasn't going to have another bad game at Game 6, especially a closeout game uh, where Golden State can win the NBA Finals. Um, Steph was 12 of 21 from the floor, 6 of 11 from 3, um, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, a block, and 34 points. Um, I think Draymond Green's stat line is honestly one of the most surprising ones just because of how efficient he was um, on offense, on defense, everything. Um, he was 2 of 5 from 3, so that's a great game from him, especially considering how much he struggled shooting uh, this year. 5 of 10 from the floor, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, 12 points, and at a plus 16 rating, actually, which was the best rating in the game besides Gary Payton the seconds, plus 18. Um, and as I said before, Gary Payton the second was a big reason Golden State was able to close out the last two games because of how well he played off the bench since the Celtics weren't really uh, too ready for him to be uh, an offensive threat, especially in Game 5. Game 6, I mean, it wasn't the same story, but Game 5, he was all over the place uh, on the offensive end. Um, Draymond Green did have uh, five turnovers. He was a little sloppy with the ball, um, but the Warriors ended up winning, so I'm sure he doesn't care about it. Um, anyways, Andrew Wiggins was sensational um, on the defensive end for Golden State in Game 6. Um he was just all over the place. Um, he had five, uh, four steals, three blocks, five assists, six rebounds, um, and then also was seven of eighteen from the floor uh, for eighteen points. Um, but his uh, four steals and, and three blocks were huge. Uh, he was all over the place, giving it his all. I give him credit. Kind of reminded me of like a Jimmy Butler in twenty twenty. In 2020's NBA Finals, where he was all over the place in the defensive end, stealing uh, passes, getting in the passing lane, blocking shots. Um, Wiggins just had a different motor in Game 6. Honestly, in the NBA Finals in general, um, I'm sure he heard a lot of the criticism uh, that people had um, about him, and he wasn't happy with it. Anyways, um, Jason Tatum was awful in Game 6. Uh, 6 of 18 uh, from the floor, 13 points. No free throws, no free throw attempts, which just shows uh, how unaggressive he was. He wasn't really trying at all out there. To, I mean, you know, he was, you know, driving down the lane trying to get some foul calls. Um, and I know not every call goes his way, but it just seemed like he wasn't even trying really to get to the line. Because even if he did, he's not. It's not like he's going to hit every one of them. I mean, I think he shot sixty-five percent from the free throw line um, in the NBA Finals. So he was just struggling um, in all sorts. Um, three rebounds, seven assists for Tatum. Uh, three steals, a block, did a five turnover, so very sloppy with the ball once again. So another bad performance from him. 
Um, and the Warriors actually, speaking of free throws, they only had eight free throw attempts as a team themselves, which is actually the lowest um, for a team uh, in the NBA Finals ever that, that won an NBA Finals, uh, won that game. So um, in a single uh, NBA Finals game, eight free throw attempts was the lowest ever for a team that's won. Um, so that's nuts. Um, lowest by a team in the NBA Finals win ever, eight free throw attempts. So it just shows it just was not the Celtics night in game six either. Um, anyways, uh, I'll break down some stats um, overall of how the series went as a whole. Um, Jason Tatum shot, and this, as I said, Andrew Wiggins was all over the place in the defensive end in the, in the NBA Finals as a whole. Jason Tatum shot 37.5% from the floor when co- uh, covered by Andrew Wiggins. Um, so it just shows how efficient he was um, on the defensive end, uh, making plays and getting in Tatum's head um, and forcing Tatum to take bad shots, turn the ball over. Um, Wiggins was was a star out there. Um, moving on, Jalen Brown uh, shot 29.4% from the floor uh, when guarded by Draymond Green. Was actually 1 of 15 from 3 when covered by Draymond Green. So it wasn't just Wiggins playing great defense. Draymond Green was playing great defense. Steph even played solid defense a couple of games in the NBA Finals. Um, and I've never been one to, to rash on Steph for his defensive play just because of good he is on the offensive end. I mean, who cares? At the end of the day, he's playing so well um, on offense. I mean, he doesn't need to you know have five steals a game. Anyways, Jalen Brown struggled heavily when covered by Draymond Green. Um, and then you look at Jason Tatum. As I said, was was awful when covered by uh, Andrew Wiggins. But Tatum had the most turnovers ever in a single postseason in NBA uh, playoffs history, which I just talked about um, a second ago. Um, he had 100, and then Jalen Brown was second um, this single postseason of the 2022 NBA playoffs. Uh, he was second in turnovers with 74. So you have the two guys with the highest uh, turnovers, the most turnovers in the NBA uh, playoffs this season. Um, that's just awful. It just shows that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are just so careless with the ball. Um, they need, especially considering how much they have the ball. I mean, these two guys need to make better decisions and handle the ball. Um, and I know everyone says they're young. You know, Tatum's 24, Jalen Brown's 25. At the end of the day, I don't think their age, being young, should be an excuse. And I don't think them being tired should be an excuse. Just because Golden State's, first of all, older, much older as a team. You know, if you look at Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. And then also, they played... You know, the same amount of minutes in the NBA Finals that all the Celtics did. I mean, the, the Celtics can't use, oh, they were tired as, you know, as an excuse since the Warriors were tired as well. I know the Warriors only played, you know, five games in the Western Conference Finals and the Celtics played seven to beat Miami. But at the end of the day, you can't use fatigue as, as an excuse. You are in the NBA Finals. You need to give it your all. This needs to be where you pour it all out, leave everything on the floor. Who cares uh, if you're playing, you know, 45 minutes a night? If you get a win, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, and the Celtics just uh, were just getting out-hustled. I, mean, I know people use, oh, they were tied as an excuse, but I don't see that as an excuse, um, at least a valid excuse. Um, anyways, so continuing with the Warriors' defense, uh, they held the Celtics under 100 points in all three of the last NBA Finals games. Obviously, the Warriors won three straight, uh, games four, five, and six. Um, they actually held the Celtics under 100 points in four of six games, um, which is really impressive considering how hot the Celtics were um, at times uh, in the Milwaukee series, the Brooklyn series, Miami series. The Celtics had you know spurts in all three of those where they were really hot. Um, Anyways, uh, the Warriors were 7-0 and uh, in the postseason when Draymond Green hits a three, so I guess it just shows um, how important uh, Draymond Green's offensive contributions uh, are when the Warriors um, need them, especially considering 7-0 and when he hits a three. I mean, uh, that's nuts. Um, anyways, uh, Jason Tatum 
uh, which I know I'm flip-flopping back and forth from topic to topic. Uh, but Jason Tatum in the NBA Finals averaged 21.5 points a game uh, to go along with 6.8 rebounds, 7 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.7 blocks, and shot 36.7% from the field, uh, which is atrocious. Uh, 65.6% from the free throw line. He was 21 of 32 um, on free throws, which needs to be better. I mean, come on. They're free throws. you got to hit them. And I feel like he didn't get much uh he didn't get much criticism for how bad he sh- uh, shot free throws. 21-32. I mean, everyone talks about the turnovers, which was awful as well. But, I mean, he was 65.6% from the free throw, and you need to be better there. Um, he did shoot 45.5% from threes, so he's better shooting threes than he was um, field goals in general. 36.7% from uh, from the field is awful. Um, he did commit 23 turnovers in the NBA Finals um, in uh did uh, post a seven field goals made per uh, 20.3 field goal uh, attempt average in the NBA Finals. Um, so he wasn't shooting well from the floor, um, really in general. Um, threes, I guess he was shooting, you know, well from 45.5%. Um, but free throws in, in, from the field in general was just uh, below average, was not good at all. Um, it was awful for a player that people consider a top five, top ten player in the NBA. I mean, if you're going to be in that conversation with top five players like LeBron, Steph Curry, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. I mean, those that's just to name a few. Uh, Luka Doncic. And that's just to name a few guys. If you're going to be in that conversation with those guys, you need to shine on the brightest stage, the NBA Finals. And Tatum just didn't do that. Um, he shot 31.6% um, from two-point range. Uh, and in the it, that was in the NBA Finals, 31.6% uh, from two-point range. But in the, in the regular season, he was 52.4%. So in the biggest stage, I mean, his game just went completely downhill. He flopped. I mean, he, Jason Tatum did not show up in the NBA Finals. Um, not the Jason Tatum star, superstar a lot of people see him being. That did not show up. Um, he actually had the worst uh, two-point field goal percentage by any player with 75 field goal attempts um, in the last 60 years in the NBA Finals. The worst two-point field goal percentage in the NBA Finals in the last 60 years. Think about that. Let that sink in. The worst field goal percentage on two-point shots by any player in the last 60 years. I mean, that's nuts. That just shows how much he was struggling and how he didn't show up to play. Um, he was 12 of 35 on two-pointers in the finals and 21 of 56 uh, from the floor um, in average 4.2 uh, turnovers um, per game in the playoffs. So, I mean, in general, 4.2 turnovers a game in the playoffs. I think it was 3.2 uh, in the NBA Finals. But 4.2 turnovers per game in the playoffs, it just shows he was struggling, honestly, all of the playoffs. But, uh, for, you know, before the NBA Finals, he was scoring a good amount of points. So, you know, 25 points a game, it's fine, I guess, to have five turnovers. You're winning games, especially considering, you know, we made the NBA Finals with all those turnovers, you know, four turnovers a game. But those turnovers look a lot bigger when you're not winning the NBA Finals. Um, so his awful field goal percentage and, and not shooting well and not having, you know, the points per game, uh, to match how well he was playing before the NBA finals, it makes the turnovers look a lot bigger. And, and, and that's just, uh, I guess the story of, uh, Tatum's playing the NBA finals. He did not show up to play. Um, and I think he deserves a lot of the criticism. Um, and people use, I said, the Jingle Brown's 25 and Jason Tatum's 24, so they'll be back. And, you know, it's all good, you know, since in January we weren't going to be a playoff team. I agree with that. I mean, the Celtics turned the season around, credit to them. Uh, they made the season exciting, gave themselves a chance to win the NBA Finals. But they burned, and people use the, and they burned out, you know, it's okay since they were tired. But I don't think you can use that as an excuse. When you make the NBA Finals, this is the stage where we're supposed to, you know, legends are made. We are supposed to really put it all on the line. And it was all about 18 for the Celtics, winning the 18th NBA Finals. And they just came up completely flat. 
And who knows if the Celtics are going to make it back to the NBA Finals. It's so hard to do. I mean, you look at the 2020 NBA Finals. It was Lakers, Heat. 2021 uh, was Suns and uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee and the Suns didn't make it back this year. Both teams were out before the conference finals. And then you look at the 2020 Lakers. I mean, in, in 2020, they obviously win the NBA Finals. But then in 2021, uh, they lost in the first round of the Western Conference um, in the Western Conference first round. And then in 2022, they didn't make the playoffs. So, took the Lakers, you know, the last two years, losing in the first round of the, of, of the Western Conference playoffs and then not making the NBA fi- not making the playoffs after winning the NBA Finals. Then you look at the Bucks. Didn't make even the conference finals this year, and neither did the Suns. Um, obviously, Miami in twenty twenty winning, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals made it back to the Eastern Conference Finals this year um, in twenty twenty two. But it's so hard to make it back to the NBA Finals. And as I said, the teams that won in you know the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one didn't even make it back until haven't even made it back yet. Um, to the NBA Finals. Um, and also, you look at 2019. It was Raptors in, in Golden State. The Raptors didn't make it back to the NBA Finals since. I mean, Golden State took them uh, from 2019-2022 uh, to make it back. Uh, so, I, I don't want to hear the, oh, but at least, you know, the 24-25. I think at the end of the day, it's not easy to make it back to the NBA Finals. And this was a golden opportunity for the Celtics to get the 18th banner and, 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 and make a mock in history. Um, and, and obviously turn things around. I mean, the franchise at one point in January, everyone was going all over the place saying, you know, we got to trade Jalen, trade Jason, trade one of them. Um, and, and they really turned things around. I felt like, you know, everything was set up perfectly for the Celtics to win the NBA Finals this year, especially once we made it. Um, I still thought Golden State was going to win, but I felt like the opportunity for the Celtics was huge, um, and they just didn't come up big. They just came up flat and came up short. Um, so that, that, that's definitely tough. Um, obviously this was the first time the Celtics made it back since 2010. So you don't make the NBA finals every year. It's tough to make it back considering, you know, I'm sure Milwaukee will be back next year. Chris Middleton will be healthy. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to the Nets. I don't know if they will be really of a threat at all. Considering if Kyrie leaves and if KD leaves, they won't be a threat, but Philadelphia, the Sixers will probably be better next year. Um, the heat will be back again next year. There's a lot of teams that are going to be competing with the Celtics, uh, you know, next year to make it back. It's just not going to be an easy road uh, making back to the NBA Finals again. That's why I felt like this year was a golden opportunity. Um, and no excuse. I mean, the Celtics were outperformed by the Warriors in the NBA Finals. So credit to Golden State. They deserved it. Um, um, and and I, I know the Celtics' depth, that was a big reason Golden State outshined and outperformed the Celtics. The Celtics just have no depth. I mean, they had to run a seven-man rotation, uh, essentially, and, and couldn't even take their last... They couldn't even take their five starters out of the game, you know, in the last two games of the series. In game six, they couldn't even take the five starters out because, you know, they weren't going to get any contributions from Grant Williams or Derek White on the offensive or defensive end. So, it, you know, they really just had to run five guys, um, which just was, you know, not an easy um, thing to overcome. Uh, that's just an obstacle not many teams can overcome, especially in the NBA Finals. Um, and the turnovers was a big thing, a uh, re- big reason why the Celtics um, shouldn't have an excuse uh, for, 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 for losing. The turnovers were the reason the Celtics lost, I felt like, um, besides the depth. I think the depth in the turnovers uh, were right up there. But the Celtics were one of eight um, in the postseason uh, when having 16-plus turnovers, um, and they were 13-2 in games with 15 turnovers or less. So 16 turnovers or more, the Celtics reached that in all three of their last games. Um that's just something you can't have. Um, I think it was in the last two games for sure they had over um, 16 turnovers. So uh, that's just something you can't overcome is all those turnovers. It just shows uh, the Celtics need a point guy. They need to figure things out. Um, 
anyways, uh, I'll finish up uh, going to Tatum uh, here with uh, maybe a couple more lines. <laughs> probably in another minute, I'll probably talk about him again. But Marcus Smart had a higher field goal percentage in the NBA Finals than Jason Tatum did. Marcus Smart shot 43 point, uh, 43% uh, from the field uh, and also scored 15.2 points a game. So you're getting some offensive contributions from him. But Jason Tatum shot 36.7% from the field. So Marcus Smart... Uh, shot 7% better from the field than Jason Tatum, and, and that just can't happen. You can't. Uh, and then you look at the Celtics' two role players, Grant Williams um, and Derek White. Uh, Derek White shot 32.7% from the field in the last two games um, of the NBA Finals. 1 of 10 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3, 5 rebounds, an assist, and 0 steals. You look at Grant Williams, he averaged 4.2 uh, points per game in the NBA Finals. He did average a 9.8 points per game in the in the Milwaukee and Miami seat, uh, Miami Heat series combined. Both those series combined, he averaged 9.8 points a game, so just about 10 points a game, um, including two games over 20 points um, in that stretch. Um, but then you look at the last three games, the NBA Finals, um, he averaged three points a game, shot 50% from the field, 1.7 rebounds per game, zero steals, uh, he did three blocks in the last three games, so one block per game was his average um, to go along with nine points and five rebounds total in the last three games. So nine points and five rebounds is what Grant Williams gave you in the last three games of the NBA Finals. And he was giving you that on a, on a nightly basis in the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee series. Even in uh, a couple games of the NBA Finals, he was better than that. Um, it just shows the Celtics have no depth. I mean, they essentially, as I said, had four bench points in Game Five. Um, since six, you know, of those ten points came from Luke Cornett um, in, in, in Aaron Neesmith in the last minute. So only four bench points in Game Six, and then five bench points in Game Four, Game Five, excuse me, and then five bench points in Game Six. So it's just nuts. I'll, I'll give the Celtics the edge and say they had ten bench points since you know they legitimately did, but I don't really count garbage time. Um, but they. Had 10 bench points in Game 5, and then 5 bench points in Game 6. So 15 bench points in the last two games. And two of those main role plays, Grant Williams and Derek White, just did not show up for the Celtics um, in those last two games. That's a big reason uh, their bench was just awful. And that's the reason the Celtics had to run a five-man rotation. That's the reason Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Al Horford all ran out of gas because they had to play you know, 35, 40 minutes um, just to try to keep up and try to keep the Celtics in the game. Um Overall, the Celtics were outscored by Golden State in eight of the last ten quarters. So, as I said, the better team won. Um, and that came from a stat from StatMuse. Um, the Celtics um, were just not the better team. The Warriors were, were better. They were outmatched. Um, and as I said, experience is a big reason why Golden State um, did what they did in, in, in this NBA Finals. If you look at it, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, ten years on uh, on the same team. They've been to six NBA Finals together, won four rings. Um, they've actually the most NBA Finals wins uh, by a trio in the last uh, 30 years. The most NBA Finals um, games uh, won, which is 21. Um, and that's over the last 30 years they have the most. Um, it just shows that experience uh, was another big battle, another big obstacle uh, for the Celtics to try to overcome, and, and they just couldn't do it. Um, Credit to Steph Curry, though. Uh, he won his first NBA Finals MVP. Very happy for him. Uh, became the first NBA player um, ever to average 30 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 three-pointers made um, in the NBA Finals. Um, and that includes a game he didn't even hit a 3. I mean, he still averaged 5 th- three-pointers a game in the NBA Finals, and that includes 
uh, game five where he didn't even make a three-point attempt, uh, which is nuts. Um, and that actually uh, comes from StatMuse. He's the first player in an NBA Finals um, ever to average 30 points, five rebounds, five assists, and five three-pointers. So congratulations to Steph. He had a uh, fantastic year. Um, tremendous NBA Finals run for him. Finals MVP, All-Star Game MVP, and then also was the Western Conference Finals MVP. So credit to Steph. Uh, he was absolutely terrific out there. 31.2 points per game, six rebounds, five assists, two steals uh, to go along with 48.2% shooting from the floor and 43.7% uh, percent shooting from three in the NBA Finals. So credit to him. Um, and then uh, speaking of big performances, Andrew Wiggins, you know, I talked about him 10, 15 minutes ago now. He averaged 18.3 points per game in the NBA Finals to go along with 2.2 assists, 1.5 steals, 1.5 blocks, 44.6% shooting from the floor, and 29.7% shooting from three. Um, and not only did Wiggins play great uh, defensively and grab boards, uh, but he outscored Tatum in Game uh, 5 and Game 6 combined 44-40. to 40. So not only was he locking up Jason Tatum on the defensive end, he was also outscoring Jason Tatum on the offensive end. So uh, the Celtics were just dominated um, in games five and six. And, and, and Andrew Wiggins was playing great offense and great defense, uh, grabbing rebounds, getting in the passing lane, blocking shots. Uh, so credit to him. Uh, the Warriors' defense deserves a lot of the credit. Um, and Jason Tatum uh, uh, was locked up, especially in the crunch time moments. In the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals, he was 6 of 25 uh, from the floor with the 24%. Uh, field goal percentage, uh, shot four of 21 on two pointers, two of four from three, um, in the fourth quarter and averaged three points, uh, per fourth quarter in the NBA finals. Um, but then you look at before the NBA finals, so this just shows how good the Warriors defense was. He was 37 of 69 in the other three series, um, from the floor, 37 of 69 from the floor. Um, in the fourth quarter, uh, with a 53.6% field goal percentage, um, as I said in the fourth, um, an average 6.7 points per game in the final quarter, um, to go along with 26 point, uh, 26 for 45 shooting on two pointers, uh, which is a 57.2% or 57% uh, field goal percentage uh, on two point shots, um, and that was 11 for 24 uh, from three um, uh, in the fourth quarter of the other three series. Um, uh, he was 45.8% from three um, before um, the NBA uh, finals um, and was shooting 57% uh, on two-point shot, uh, two shots in the fourth quarter. Uh, but then you look at the NBA finals, 24% from the floor compared to 53.6% uh, from the floor in the fourth quarter uh, before the NBA finals. Um, and then you just look at three points per game in the fourth quarter in the NBA Finals compared to 6.7 points per game in the fourth quarter before the NBA Finals in the other three series. So uh, he was just not the same player in the NBA Finals. And the Warriors' defense deserves credit. They're a big reason he had a big drop-off and didn't show up um, and didn't play well. Anyways, uh, my last statistic, um, the Warriors have a 22-2 and playoff uh, series record with Steve Kerr as head coach. So it just shows how great of a coach he is as well. Um, Kerr is the highest winning percentage, uh, actually, in NBA playoff history. Um, and he's won five titles as a player um, and then four um, as a head coach. So credit to the Warriors, credit to Steve Kerr. Um, very well-coached team. Um, and they just played the game the right way um, and, and, and beat the Celtics uh, fair and square. So no complaints there. Um, I can't say uh, you know the Warriors cheated the Celtics out of an NBA Finals because the Warriors just played better. They were the better team. You can't argue that. Um, better team defensively um, uh, in those last two games, uh, especially. Um, 
the Celtics overall, obviously, over the course of the season, the Celtics were the better defensive team. But in the last two games, the NBA Finals, the Warriors' defense were forcing a ton of turnovers. Um, and, and that is credit to um, that, that's accredited to how well Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Steve Kerr um, performed. I know you know Steve Kerr gave them, I'm sure, a great defensive game plan, and that you know uh, that was really uh, performed well on the floor by Draymond Green and uh, Andrew Wiggins. So credit to the Warriors. Um, Anyways, now I'm going to shift to some news within the NBA. Um, a week or two ago now, the Lakers hired Davin Him um, as their head coach. Um, he played nine years in the NBA with six teams from 1996 to 2005. Um, he actually won uh, as an assistant coach uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks staff last year. Um, so he's an NBA champion as an assistant coach. Um, and then also won as a player in 2004 um, with the Detroit Pistons back in the heyday of Rip Hamilton um, and Chauncey Billups. Um, he was... Ham was a seldom uh, used bench player back then, uh, but still an NBA champ nevertheless. Um, so anyways, he's going to the Lakers to be their head coach now. And as I said, one as assistant coach um, and as a uh, player as well. So he has great experience. He's going to bring um, some experience to the locker room, hopefully um, help things gel uh, between Andrew, uh, excuse me, not Andrew, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook. Um, and that's the thing. Uh, he was already an assistant coach with the Lakers from 2011 to uh 2013, so he was there when Kobe was there. So he's bringing some experience there um, and hopefully gets the Lakers back on track, um, especially since Frank Vogel just couldn't do it. Um, he was fired after his third season um, as the Lakers head coach. Uh, the Lakers finished fourth in the Pacific Division, missed the playoffs, had a 33-49 um, and 49 record. Um, they did win the NBA Finals um, in the first year um, with Vogel as head coach, um, but things just went downhill after that. Um, and it's not easy to win the NBA Finals as a first year head coach. I mean, just making the NBA Finals as a first-year head coach um, is a success. So credit to Ime Odoka for doing that. Um, he really turned this season around, um, and I'm happy the Celtics uh, really got things back on track. Um, but anyways, want to get back to the Lakers here. Um, so, yeah, Vogel just didn't work out. So him, hopefully, uh, will get things back on track for LeBron, since uh, you know I'm a big LeBron fan. Um, and I'm a big Russell Westbrook fan as well. And him said about Russell Westbrook, um, don't get it messed up. Russ is still one of the best players in our league. Um, is still one of the best players our league has ever seen. Um, and there is still a ton of, uh, still a ton left in the tank. So I don't know why people tend to write him off. And I agree with him. Uh, Russ is a guy that grew up in LA, Long Beach, California, representing his hometown and trying to contend uh, for a title um, for the Lakers is his goal. Um, and it's not Russ's fault, you know, for how much the Lakers underperformed this year. Russ wants to win more than any player on the Lakers wants to win, just, you know, probably just under LeBron. Um, you know, so I'm sure LeBron wants to win the most. I think Russ is probably second on the team uh, that wants to win. I think Russ still has a lot left in the tank. I agree with Davin Ham there. Um, that's why I want to talk about this, because I feel like Russell Westbrook is criticized when he shows up every single game. I agree with Davin Ham. There's still a lot left in the tank. I think Russell Westbrook has been written off for no reason. I think, yeah, he has his turnovers and has his missed shots, but that's always been Russ. He's always been that type of player. He hasn't really changed. Um, and one thing about Russ that uh, hasn't changed is that he gives it his all every single game. Look at the Lakers. Anthony Davis uh, missed 42 games out of 82 games this past season, so missed more than half the season. Also said in, in a Instagram Live a few weeks ago that he hasn't shot a basketball since April 5th. Russell Westbrook shows up night in and night out, even if he's not putting up you know, the MVP numbers that he put up in, in Oklahoma City or the numbers he put up in Houston and in, in Washington before getting to the Lakers, he still is giving it his all every single night. Look at LeBron James. He missed 26 games this past year. 
Russell Westbrook did average 18.5 points a game to go along with seven assists um, and seven rebounds per game. And I, and I know people will criticize Russ just because he's an easy target to pick on and you know he's not putting up 25 points a game. But look, the fact of the matter is this. He shows up on a nightly basis. And I think if things do get figured out there, if Davin Ham gets Russell Westbrook back on track and gets the Lakers back on track as a team as a whole and gets them to gel, I mean, the sky's the limit for this team considering how much talent they have. I know their depth on their bench isn't elite, and I'm sure they're going to try to address that this offseason. Um, but if you look at Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, how good those players have been over their NBA careers, they should make the NBA playoffs. They, they shouldn't have an excuse. And their excuse right now is Russell Westbrook and injuries. I think it should just be injuries. I don't think Russell Westbrook's a reason the, the Lakers uh, in the, uh, didn't make the NBA playoffs. Um, and look look online at all the memes from this season. Every time Russ had a bad shot, it was televised and broadcasted all over social media and ESPN. But what about Jason Tatum? What about the bricks he had? Um, and all the sidestep fadeaway threes off the glass and the side of the rim that he's missed in the NBA playoffs, in the NBA finals, how bad he performed. Or when Luka or, or Trey Young or Steph Curry airball a three. Those things aren't broadcasted and put, you know, on Twitter and on Instagram. But every single bad Russell Westbrook shot felt like it was it was broadcast every single play, every bad play he had. The criticism Russ got this year was unwarranted, in, in my opinion, considering even if he played to the best of his ability, this Lakers team wasn't going anywhere with Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the bench. Without Anthony Davis and LeBron healthy... These two, you know, those two guys not being healthy, this Lakers team wasn't going anywhere. So I don't think you can blame Russell Westbrook. And people talk about his turnovers. All right, let's get into the let's get into into the facts. I did a lot of research here. Russell Westbrook averaged his lowest turnover per game number since 2013-2014, since the 2013-2014 season, with 3.8 turnovers per game. He averaged a turnover less per game, one turnover less per game than he did in any of the last eight seasons. Also, is a career 43.8% uh, shooter from the floor and was a 44.4% uh, shooter from the floor this season, which is above his career average. Actually improved his career field goal percentage this season and also went down a turnover per game than he had in any of the last eight NBA seasons. Improved his career field goal percentage by a tenth this year. Uh, so how well he shot... This year obviously wasn't you know his best season, but he shot well enough to improve his career field goal percentage from 43.7 to 43.8%. So it's just, I feel like, uh, I, I know you know he's an easy target, but I just feel like he shouldn't be picked on. And I know his points per game, rebounds, and assists were down this year and weren't what you know Russ typically is. But the main thing is that Russ is criticized on a, on a, nice, on a nightly basis, online, social media, ESPN, for his turnovers and, and all his shots that are offline and all his shots that you know are off the backboard and stuff like that. But I mean, the Lakers knew what they were getting with Russell Westbrook. Let's go back really quick to Russell Westbrook's MVP season, 2016-2017 NBA season, his MVP year. He averaged 42.5% uh, uh, shooting from the floor and had 5.4 turnovers per game. This year, he was at 44.4% uh, shooting and was down to 3.8 turnovers per game. I know he averaged 31.6 points per game in his MVP year, um, and that season was just historic, so I know it isn't the easiest comparison. I'm not making an easy comparison right now at all. Um, but still, his turnovers per game and his poor shots were all that was talked about this year. But both of those numbers, his field goal percentage and, over his, and his field goal percentage went up, 
uh, compared to uh, what he did in his MVP year. So he had a better field goal percentage this year than he did in his MVP year. And then a lower turnover per game ratio uh, by almost two turnovers per game uh, less this year than he did in his MVP year. Um, and I know it's different. I know he scored 31.6 points per game. So it's a, it's very hard to make this comparison. But he did have a better field goal percentage and a better turnover per game uh, ratio than he did in his MVP season. So I feel like that's something uh, that's just not talked about. Um, and it was better... This season, than he was in his career average in both of those categories, turnovers per game and field goal percentage. No one's going to go in depth about this research, you know, all these stats that I looked up and all these things I compared because no one cares about Russ. Everyone just wants to pick up, pick on him since he's an easy target. But I care about Russ a lot. I'm a big fan of him. That's why I went in depth. Uh, I did a ton of this uh, research and reading um, just to be able to defend him. I feel like that's just something no one does. Um, and one thing you cannot take away from Russ um, and, and that I love about him is and you can't talk down upon him for, is his drive and his hustle. Every game, you know, every single night that Russell Westbrook is healthy, he's going to suit up and give you everything he has. He'll suit up, lace his shoes, and you know you're going to get everything he has in the tank. And that's the thing. I I know people are going to criticize him for his poor shots and his turnovers, but the fact of the matter is, he gives you everything he's got every single night. He is not the reason the Lakers weren't in the playoffs this year. He wasn't. Talk about LeBron James missing games and Anthony Davis missing more than half the season. That's more of a reason in my eyes. Speaking of LeBron James, uh, David Ham said that he talked to LeBron um, in his first day in the gym uh, and that LeBron wanted to start training camp the next day, is what he told him. So LeBron, I can't criticize him besides, obviously he was injured, but I can't criticize him for how well he played on the floor when he was healthy. He averaged 30 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists this season, um, and he really turned back the hands of time. Uh, 37 years thirty-seven years old, and putting up those numbers is just nuts. Um, and in my eyes, he's the greatest of all time. So, uh, credit to LeBron for how great a season he had, but hopefully things get back on track um, this year with the Lakers, uh, with David Ham as a new head coach. Next, Want to move on to Kyrie Irving, uh, all the speculation going on around him. Um, he has one year left on his deal, um, and he could potentially uh, opt into free agency or do a sign and trade with the with the Nets and, and get traded somewhere. It seems like he could uh, be, they've said he's facing an impasse uh, uh, on his Brooklyn Nets career. The Nets could potentially move him uh, or just let him go. You know, if he were to opt uh, into free agency, the Nets wouldn't even get anything from. Uh, but the Lakers, Knicks, Clippers, Sixers, Heat, Mavs are all potential suitors um, uh, for Kyrie Irving. And as a Clippers fan, uh, you know, I'm a Clippers and a Celtics fan. I don't think the Celtics are going to make any run at him, so I'm not going to worry about that. But the Clippers, being a Clippers fan, I don't want him. He would ruin all the dog mentality that this Clippers team has, and which I'm going to go into the Clippers in a second when I talk about uh, Nick Batum um, and everything going on there. But the Clippers, the reason I love them is because... How much, how big of a heart every player on that team has, and how much they hustle on a nightly basis. They're all dogs. Their locker room is, is great. Tyron Lue does a great job merging that team together. You add Kyrie Irving to that, your locker room is, is going downhill, and your dog mentality is not going to be the same as it is right now. So I'm worried. I hope the Clippers don't get him. I don't want him on the Clippers. And I know he has one year left on his deal. Um, it's it's worth a cap hit of $37 million, uh, for this upcoming season. Um, and so the Clippers don't really have that money anyways. So I don't got to worry if it were to be a sign and trade, this Clippers would have to give up something 
Um, but I don't think the Clippers are going to make that move since they don't have that money, and I don't think they're going to really want to trade two or three really good uh, you know, stocky players, role players, um, to try to get Kyrie Irving. Um, but it is a player option for Kyrie, so he has until June 30th uh, to decide whether he wants to opt in or not or be a free agent. Um, and I think a lot of his leverage is that Kevin Durant could potentially pursue a trade, pursue being moved by the Brooklyn Nets if Kyrie Irving were to leave. Uh, so that gives Kyrie a lot of leverage um, in the situation. I'm definitely going to cover it um, in the next week or so uh, on the show, so we'll see what happens there. Next, uh, Jeremy Grant was traded yesterday uh, from the Detroit Pistons to the Portland Trail Blazers for a 2025 first-round pick. Um, very consistent player, averaged 22.3 points per game in the 2020-2021 NBA season, um, so two seasons ago now, 4.6 rebounds, 1.1 blocks um, per game to go along with 42.9% shooting uh, and 35% shooting from three. Compared for, to, to this season, the 2021-2022 NBA season, his points per game were down just about three points per game, 19.2 points per game, but everything else was consistent with what he was um, two seasons ago. 4.1 rebounds per game, one block per game, 42.6% shooting from the floor, and 35% from three. Um, so very consistent player. Um, I understand that, I guess, from both ways. Uh, the Pistons cleared up cap space um, and now have $43 million to spend. Um, and now Portland, obviously, is another star. Um, to bring alongside Damian Lillard to try to fix things there in Portland. They also have the seventh pick uh, to try to help aid uh, Lillard and pair another player alongside him too. So it'll be interesting uh, to see where they go. Um, Next, moving on to uh, Nick Batum. Uh, The forward of the LA Clippers declined his $3.3 million player option for this upcoming season. I'm not too worried. I think the Clippers are going to get a a deal done with them. I know the Celtics, Warriors, the Heat. Uh, the Lakers, they all pursue, they're all pursuing them, but I'm not worried. I mean, he was posted yesterday on the Clippers Instagram, uh, on the Clippers Instagram story in Clippers gear, practicing in the facility. And he even reshared it to his story himself. So I'm not too worried. I think he goes back to the Clippers. I'm confident they'll get a new deal, probably for a little more money. Um, he deserves it. Um, considering that he rejuvenated his career in LA, um, he averaged 8.2 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal of 0.6 blocks per game um, in his two years in L.A. Uh, to go along with 40.2% shooting from three um, last year. So um, he really did rejuvenate his career. Is a key player off the bench uh, for this Clippers team. Contributes a ton in big moments, especially you can count on him. In Batum, I think he really wants to stay in L.A. He talked about how much he loves uh Tyron Lue, and you know, they, he was a big reason he rejuvenated his career and uh, really got back on track. His two years with the LA Clippers uh, are his second and third best three point field goal percentages um, of, of his career. So he really found his shot again and really got back on track. Um, and that's the thing. I think this Clippers team really has to run it back. So re-sign Batum. Um, they have to re-sign um, Avica Zubats. I think they have to re-sign Isaiah Hartenstein, Amir Coffey. Um, and all three of those guys, I, I think they have a good chance uh, at getting back. Um, Hartenstein actually just went on vacation uh, with Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Jason Preston, uh, Robert Covington, Terrence Mann, and Brandon Boston Jr. So I'm not worried about Hartenstein. I think he's coming back. Um, especially with Nick Batum working out in the Clippers facility and Amir Coffey, uh, both working on the Clippers facility over the last uh, week or so. I think both those guys will be back. 
Um, so it's, I think it's a good sign uh, the Clippers can run this team back. Um, and I, I just heard yesterday that supposedly shopping Luke Kennard um, ahead of the NBA draft. I wouldn't want to move Kennard. Um, too good of a shooter off the bench. I think he was a really key uh, part of this Clippers team when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were out and Norman Paul was out. He contributed a ton with Reggie Jackson, uh, Nick Batum, Terrence Mann to, to keep this uh, Clippers team afloat. Uh, he actually had the number one three-point percentage uh, this year in the NBA, 44.9% from three. Uh, was also an 89.6% free throw shooter this year uh, with 11.9 points per game off the bench. Um, he was actually He's actually fifth among active shooters in three-point percentage, um, which is nuts. So very good shooter. Um, hopefully the Clippers can keep him around, but I know obviously um, they're trying to improve the team any way they can, so I guess you can't be surprised if they were to move him. But uh, for me... Resign Hartenstein, resign Zubats, resign Coffee, resign Batum, keep Kanad, and don't get Kyrie Irving. That's my plan for the Clippers. That's all I want. Um, anyways, the NBA draft, moving on to that, which I think that's probably the last thing I'm going to talk about. I'll save the Red Sox uh, in, in Shohei Otani for tomorrow. Uh, the NBA draft is tonight um, at 7.30 on ABC and ESPN for the first round. Um, it'll be on ESPN for the second round. Uh, the Celtics do not have a first-round pick, as I said uh, earlier in the episode. They traded that in the Derek White deal. Uh, the Clippers do not have a first-round pick either. They traded it to Oklahoma City uh, for Paul George in 2019. So, Oklahoma City uh, will have three first-round picks um, along with San Antonio. Um, and the Celtics um, only have one draft pick, same same as the Clippers. So the Celtics and Clippers both traded their first-round picks to San Antonio Oklahoma City. Both of those teams have three first-rounders now, San Antonio Oklahoma City being those two teams. Um, the Celtics only have one draft pick, same thing as the Clippers. Uh, the Celtics have a second-round pick, 53rd overall. The Clippers have a second-round pick, 43rd overall. Um, so there will only be, actually... 58 draft picks in this draft. Um, and that's because uh, two forfeitures, um, uh, Milwaukee forfeited um, this second round pick um, in this year's draft uh, due to violating league rules um, with tampering uh, uh, with Bogdan Bogdanovich before the allowed date um, a year or so ago. Um, and then Miami's second round pick uh, was rescinded uh, due to free agency discussions with Kyle Lowry uh, before the allowed date um, last year. So I'm not really a fan, though, of the NBA getting rid of two draft picks. I feel like that takes away from two potential draft picks, two potential, you know, kids that grinded their whole life to be drafted to the NBA. That takes from two kids, you know, living out their dream. Two kids lose their dream of getting drafted because those two teams, you know, want to cheat or, or violate league rules or whatever it is or whatever it may be. I just, I'm not a fan of that. I think the NBA should find a different way uh, to, to penalize those two teams and taking away draft picks um, since, you know, that takes away from two kids uh, that would be drafted um, and, and live out their dream. Uh, today, actually, uh, the Lakers just traded for the 35th pick uh, from the Orlando Magic in exchange for cash and a future second-round pick. Um, so that's another storyline. Maybe they'll be uh, trading back in uh, to this early in the second round uh, to try to grab uh, who knows, a shooter off the bench. It's the, the Lakers really could use a shooter. They really don't have much help there. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Anyways, I'm going to give you my 14-pick uh, mock for the lottery picks. Um, that's all I'm going to do, just the lottery picks. But I'm going to go in-depth um, about some players and, and give you some stats um, and stuff like that, some keynotes um, to to uh, keep in mind uh, with some players. So anyways, first pick of the draft, the Orlando Magic. I have them taking Jabari Smith Jr., power forward, 6'10", uh, from Auburn. He's a freshman, um, averaged 16.9 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 2 assists, 42% from 3, 42.9% from the field, 1.1 
steals per game and one block per game. Very versatile player. Can cover the one through four. Um, very athletic scorer as well. Um, can jump uh, out the gym. Uh, and, and can also contribute on both ends of the floor. Um, I think he'll be the first pick. I know there's a lot of buzz around Boncaro being the first pick. Um, I actually have Boncaro going second uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but I know that there's a lot of buzz between Boncaro and Smith, but I think Smith will be the first pick in the draft. Um, that's just my prediction as of now. Um, I think Orlando could really use Smith. Uh, they were second uh, worst in scoring in the NBA last year, um, averaging 104.2 points per game, 29th in the NBA. Um, and then also with third worst in three-point percentage uh, with 33.1% from three. Um, and uh, Smith averaged 16.9 points per game last year and also shot 42% from three. So he's going to help out and contribute a ton right away um, and make a difference for them if he were to be the first pick. Second, moving on, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I have them taking Paulo Boncaro, um, power forward 6'10", uh, from Duke, a freshman. He averaged 17.2 points per game uh, to go along with 7.8 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.9 blocks, um, and 33.8% shooting from three at 47.8% uh, shooting from the floor. Um, and that's the thing. He was really good uh, this year for Duke. He actually led them to the Final Four as a freshman, um, and he can catch and shoot, uh, play defense well, has good footwork. Uh, could be a surprise um, number one pick to some, obviously could go number one to Orlando. I think he goes, uh, could be a surprise number two as well. I guess Oklahoma city, since a lot of people see Chet Holmgren as being the second pick to Oklahoma city. But, um, I feel like Boncaro is a better player. I really am not too big of a fan of Holmgren. Um, and I think that, uh, Boncaro potentially being the first pick of the draft means, uh, he could be valued by Oklahoma city as the first pick in their eyes. And, you know, they could take him number two. So I think he can help out a ton with, with Oklahoma state's, uh, needs, uh, Oklahoma City, excuse me, needs uh, Oklahoma City uh, really needs shooting and scoring help. They were last in three-point percentage last year, shooting 32.3% from three. Um, they also were last in field goal percentage last year, 43% uh, from the floor. And were last in points per game, 103.7 points per game uh, they averaged. And then also with third worst in assists per game, um, 22.2 assists per game. So they could definitely use help in just about every facet of the game. And I feel like Boncaro definitely helps in the three-point uh, percentage a little bit will, will help out at least a little there, but it'll definitely help out in the scoring, uh, which I definitely need. Um, next, moving on, I have the Houston Rockets taking Chet Holmgren, uh, a center, seven foot center from uh, Gonzaga. He's a freshman. Um, he averaged 14.1 points per game to go along with 9.9 rebounds per game, 1.9 assists, 39% shooting from three, 60.7 field goal percentage, and 3.7 blocks per game. Um, he recently said um, in an interview that he was asked, who do you think is the best player in the NBA? Um, and he said, myself, uh, meaning him, in four to five months. Um, so that's just a little bit too much confidence for me. Um, I think he's a tad bit overrated. Um, I think Joel Embiid would humble him really quick, especially considering the fact that he's around 185, 190. Um at seven feet, his very skinny legs. I think he's going to get humbled very quick in the NBA. Um, he actually did not give his physicals um, to Orlando or Oklahoma City. Um, so that's a reason I have him. Another reason I have him going number three overall to Houston. Um, with him being under 200 pounds, though, um, he doesn't have a great build. Um, and he faded also in the, in the NCAA tournament. So I know his you know measurables uh, weight-wise isn't, and, and muscle-wise isn't great, but he also faded a little bit in the NCAA tournament, uh, shot 12.5% from three-point uh, range in March Madness. Uh, was also a 40% free-throw shooter in March Madness. He averaged 13 points a game to go along with 13.3 rebounds, so his rebounding was up in March Madness, but uh, 4.3 blocks per game as well. But 
the 40% from the free throw line to 12.5% from three um, was not uh, helpful at all for Gonzaga. Obviously, that's a big reason they lost. Um, He's a very good player, though, in transition. Uh, transition, He could shoot the ball well, um, especially for a 7-footer. He's also a great rim protector. can grab boards at will. Um, as you saw, March Madness, 13.3 rebounds per game. Um, but that's the thing. Uh, he definitely needs to get more muscle and get a, get, get a stronger build. Um, this year, he averaged 39% from three. Um, as I said, 60.7% from the floor and then 3.7 blocks. So he can grab boards, shoot, and shoot threes, um, and it helps space the floor. Um, and Houston actually recently traded uh, Christian Wood to the Dallas Mavericks um, to clear up uh, their front court. Um, Christian Wood averaged 19.1 points per game and 9.9 rebounds per game in his last two years uh, with Houston. So they're going to have to make up for that after moving him. Um, Houston got, actually, uh, uh, Dallas sent them, uh, sent Houston, uh, Boban Majanovic. So um, a big man maybe help out some of their needs there. Marquise Chris, Trey Burke, and Sterling Brown, and also the number 26 pick. Um, and then also a little bit more news uh, within the Houston Rockets. Uh, John Waller just exercised his $47.4 million player option for this upcoming season. Um, he actually did not play a game last season. Um, in 2020, um, he played for the for the Rockets in 40 games, averaged 20.6 points per game, 6.9 rebounds, uh, 6.9 assists per game, and 3.2 rebounds per game. Uh, 6.9 assists per game, excuse me, and 3.2 rebounds per game. Um, but... Uh, Houston was dead last um, in rebounds um, this last season as a team. Uh, 42 rebounds per game they averaged. Uh, we're also first in turnovers per game with 16.5 turnovers per game. So they just could use John Wall uh, to help with their turnover woes um, since he's a great floor general. And then they could also use a home, could also use Holmgren uh, with their uh, rebounding issues. Um, John Wall, honestly, though, is one of the most uh, star, one of the biggest contracts in NBA history. Um, for a guy that just didn't contribute much at all uh, for the money he's been given. Um, and I know he's a star player, don't get me wrong, I was just going to say that. He's a star player when he plays, but um, in the last three seasons, he's only played 40 games and has received $123.7 million. Just absolutely nuts. Um, that's just something to keep uh, your mind on uh, when you consider um, how much money he's paid and how little he plays, um, which is nuts. Anyways, fourth pick, I have the Sacramento Kings taking Keegan Murray, a power forward, 6'8", from Iowa. He's a sophomore. Um, solid defender, which the Kings really need. He had some size and versatility in that lineup. Um, he's a scorer as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jaden Ivey, uh, but I think, the King, I think the Kings really don't need another guard. I feel like they need a big man. They already drafted uh, De'Aaron Fox. Um, they already have De'Aaron Fox. Drafted Davion Mitchell last year. A few years ago, drafted Tyrese uh, Halliburton. Obviously traded him, but um, they really need to give De'Aaron uh, Fox the help he deserves. Uh, the Kings haven't made the playoffs since 2006, so drafting another guard and just doing the same thing they've been doing for the last five years, I don't think really will work. Obviously, uh, they traded uh, this last year uh, for DeMontis Sabonis, um, which was which was a help for De'Aaron Fox. Um, and then also um, uh, drafted a few years ago, four or five years ago now, uh, four years ago now, uh, I know that for sure in the 2018 draft, drafted... Um, Marvin Bagley from Duke, and that obviously didn't work out. So I guess they took a stab um, at trying to draft um, a, a power forward, trying to draft a big man, and obviously didn't work out. But I think Keegan Murray would be a great pick for them here. I'm a big fan of Jaden Ivey. I think he's a better player than Keegan Murray. But I think Keegan Murray is a better fit for Sacramento and what they need right now. Um, Murray averaged 23.5 points per game, 8.7 rebounds, uh, 1.5 assists, 1.9 blocks. 
uh, 1.3 steals to go along with 39.8% shooting from three and 55.4% uh, from the floor shooting. Um, Sacramento was 24th in three-point percentage with 34.4% shooting from three. Um, so you could definitely use help from three. Um, it definitely could use help shooting, um, which Murray could help with both of those. And then they were also 26th, the Kings were, um, in the NBA with 42.9 rebounds per game. And Murray could help there as well. So... Uh, I see Murray being a big help uh, for the Kings if he were to be the pick there. Anyways, uh, fifth overall, the Detroit Pistons. I have them taking Shaden Sharp. Uh, my shooting got 6'6 uh, from Kentucky. He's a freshman. Uh, very athlo- uh, athletic, explosive uh, guy who can shoot the ball well. Sharp actually didn't even play um, a game for the Wildcats at all. Uh, he actually declared for the NBA, NBA draft uh, despite not ever stopping uh, uh, stepping on the court. Um, in playing in a game for the Wildcats, which is nuts. Um, he's probably the biggest mystery and question mark of the NBA draft, uh, but he could also be the biggest steal if he ends up playing to the to the ability he could play. Um, obviously, he has no experience playing in college, so uh, that's a downside. But I think if you pair him with Cade Cunningham, uh, last year's number one overall pick, um, I think they could be a great tandem together. Um, Shop was actually the number one uh, recruit in the 2022 uh, class before early enrolling at Kentucky. Um, and as I said, never played for Kentucky, never stepped on the court for Kentucky. Um, but he performed well um, in his workouts, um, and he could still be a top five uh, or, 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 or earlier player, uh, draft pick-wise. Um, could obviously be top ten, too. But um, I, I see him going five to the Detroit Pistons. Um, he could definitely help the Pistons with their shooting woes. Um, they were third worst in the NBA in scoring per game last year, um, scoring 104.8 points per game. And then also a second worst in the NBA um, in three-point percentage, 32.6% from three. So I think Shop could contribute um, in helping them solve both of those needs. Sixth overall, which probably is my biggest steal of the draft, uh, is Jaden Ivey, shooting guard, slash point guard, um, 6'4 from Purdue, uh, sophomore, um, 17.3 points per game average um, this past season, 4.9 rebounds, 3.1 assists, shot 35.8% from three, solid scorer, jet speed, very similar player to John Morant, maybe not the same uh, ability as John Morant, you know, jumping and dunk-wise, but very similar player, definitely the best player available at this point. I think he could be the steal of the draft if he ends up going six to the paces, uh, very athletic, as I said, makes plays in transition. Um, in, in Indiana is in desperate need uh, of guides, um, as they are very likely um, to trade Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and Ricky Rubio is also an unrestricted free agent coming off a torn ACL. So I think Ivy would be a great match with Tyrese Halliburton, who I just mentioned, uh, the Kings drafted two years ago. Um, they'd be a great one-two uh, point guard, shooting guard, uh, one-two punch. They also have Buddy Hill there as well. Um, I think... Ivy would be a huge um, addition uh, to their backcourt, um, especially considering how well of a scorer he is. Indiana really needs that. They're 25th in the NBA last year in shooting uh, from three, 34.4%. Ivy would be a huge help there, um, helping aid the three-point shooting uh, issues. And then also, um, Indiana could use more help on defense. Um, they were 26th in steals per game last year with 7.1 steals. Um, and Ivy can, can help out a little on the defensive end. So uh, we'll see what they do. I think he'd be a steal if he's there at 6. Uh, moving on, the Portland Trailblaze. I have them taking Dyson Daniels, 6'7", uh, 6'8", shooting guard uh, from the G League Ignite. Um, he's 19 years old. Two-way play that, help, that can help stretch the floor um, on offense and on defense uh, for Portland. He averaged 11.3 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, and 4.4 assists per game um, in the G League. 
very unselfish player on offense, uh, likes to pass the ball, looks for the open player, um, was not a great perimeter shooter um, this year, um, shooting 25% from three, um, but that could definitely improve. I feel like he could work on that in the NBA. Uh, Porter could definitely use his help on defense. Um, Daniels has good length, um, very efficient defender. Uh, Portland was actually 27th in scoring per game, um, averaging 106.2 points per game uh, this last year. Um, and Damian Lillard uh, being hurt, you know, a majority of the season, um, he only played 29 games, did average 24 points per game in those 29 games. But Damian Lillard being hurt is a big reason they were 27th in scoring per game. But I think Dyson Daniels uh, could help. Maybe if he's not putting up 15 points per game, he might be giving you five, six assists a night um, that can help make a difference finding open guys and getting uh, more points on the board. So I think he'd be a really good pick there uh, for Portland. It would fit in their system very well. Um, anyways, at number eight, um, I have the New Orleans Pelicans uh, taking uh, Jeremy Sohan. Um, this pick actually comes from the LA Lakers, part of the Anthony Davis deal. I'm going to take him to Jerry Sohan, um, a power forward, 6'9", a power forward from Baylor. He's a freshman. Very solid player on defense, could help out in transition. Um, good ball handling skills for big. Um, can catch an alley-oop as well. Very uh, big, uh, good lob threat. Good athleticism. He can finish well with the rim. He was actually uh, the Big 12 sixth man of the year. Um, award recipient. Um, can shoot uh, and catch and shoot well um, outside the yard. Can dribble, drive. Um, which is hard to do uh, for bigs at 6'9". So he'll stretch the floor um, heavily. Um, and he can also play um, the 1 through 5. So he has deep versatility. Um, he can fit anywhere in the Pelicans lineup. And the Pelicans already have a solid rotation already with guys like Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. Obviously Williamson coming back uh, from all his injuries. But uh, CJ McCollum as well. Um, Sohan averaged uh, 9.2 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 1 point assists per game, 1.3 steals, and 0.7 blocks um, this last season for Baylor. Um, anyways, ninth pick, um, I have the San Antonio Spurs um, taking Benedict Matherin, um, a 6'6 shooting guard from Arizona, a sophomore. Um, the Spurs need help um, everywhere at every position, in my opinion, so I'm giving them a scorer, um, uh, one of the best scorers in the Pac-12. He's the Pac-12 player of the year. Um, unreal shooting um, in transition threes. Very hard to slow down um, in transition, um, which speed could definitely help um, San Antonio alongside DeJounte Murray. Uh, Matherin could go anywhere um, between the 5th pick and the 10th pick, in my opinion. Um, he averaged 17.7 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 36.9% shooting from 3, and 45% shooting from the floor um, this past season. He's very athletic and will help stretch the floor for San Antonio if he were to be the pick um, uh, because of how well he shoots um, and how big he is, too. He's you know he's 6'6", can help stretch the floor. I think he's a very safe pick um, at number 9 for San Antonio. Um, and considering San Antonio was 8th in scoring per game last year at 113.2 points per game, um, I think he's going to make them even better. Um, so Matherin is my pick at number nine. Number 10, I have the Washington Wizards taking uh, Jalen uh, Duren, um, a 6'11 center um, from uh, Memphis. He's a freshman. Um, he averaged 12 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, shot 59.7% uh, from the field, along with 2.1 blocks per game. Um, I think he will help protect uh, the basket and hoop uh, very well uh, for Washington. I think they need that. He's a great rim protector. Um, he shot... Uh, not very well. Uh, he's not a he's not a very good outside shooter, uh, which I know a lot of big men nowadays rely on. So he's not going to give you any shots from three. Uh, so he's not going to really help spread the floor there. But he'll help protect the floor on de- uh, protect the hoop on defense. He'll also score um, in the paint uh, to help. Uh, 
the wizards, uh, which obviously they need, they, they need help everywhere. I was going to say they need help with the paint. They need help everywhere, though, the wizards. That's just the reality of it. Uh, besides Bradley Beal, who actually has expressed his wish uh, to stay in Washington, um, he's got more loyalty than any player in the NBA. Um, the wizards really uh, do need to help uh, Beal out. Obviously, Beal can be traded. I mean, who knows? I don't think they're going to trade him. I don't think he wants to be traded, but Washington definitely needs to uh, rebuild. They do have Porzingis and Kuzma to help Beal. Their only, you know, really star is, is Bradley Beal. They have two um, good players there in Porzingis and Kuzma. I guess Porzingis, some people might consider a star still, but I guess it depends on your interpretation. But uh, the Wizards uh, could definitely use a point guard, but I don't think any point guards are really worth taking here at number 10. Maybe Ty Ty Washington, but I don't think he'll be going here at number 10. Um, Washington could definitely use perimeter um, shooting help, which I know uh, Duran's not going to help there at all. Um, they were ranked 26th in the NBA uh, with 34.2% uh, shooting from three and with 22nd uh, in scoring with 108.6 points per game. So they have a lot to improve upon, the Wizards. Um, anyways, moving on to the 11th pick, the New York Knicks. I have them taking Johnny Davis, a 6'5 shooting guard from Wisconsin, a sophomore. Um, he uh, would definitely help the Knicks. The, the, the Knicks need scoring. Um, and Davis could be a huge contributor um, on the offensive end, getting R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle some help um, scoring, putting points on the board. Um, Davis averaged 19.7 points per game uh, in his sophomore season for Wisconsin. Uh, 8.2 rebounds to go along with 1.2 steals, so he can play defense. Uh, 2.1 assists. Um, they also shot 38.9% from three. Um, as a freshman, he was only 30.6% um, as a sophomore this year, so it went down a little. Uh, but did shoot 42.7% uh, percent from the floor. I think Davis would be a steal um, at number uh, 12 if he were to fall to Oklahoma City at 12, and I think the Knicks take him at 11. Um, I think he would fit very well in Oklahoma City's offense, though, uh, with their rebounding uh, needs and their shooting from three needs and their scoring needs. I think he would be a steal uh, for Oklahoma City at 12, but I think Davis goes 11. Uh, I think the Knicks, if they like him uh, and he's there and he's available at 11, I think they take him. I've been hearing a lot that the Knicks uh, could trade Mitchell Robinson um, in a sign and trade, which could make a center a huge need for them. Um, and he could leave as a free agent too, I believe, Robinson. So uh, I guess they could go a big man as well. Uh, the Knicks were 27th in the NBA in field goal percentage last year, shooting 43.7.5% uh, from the field. They were fourth in uh, the NBA in, 40, uh, in rebounds, so they rebounded very well, 46.1 rebounds per game. But they were 26th in scoring at 106.5 points per game. So they definitely could use scoring, and Davis shooting 19 point seven points per game um off of thirty eight point nine percent shooting from three and forty two percent seven uh forty two point seven percent shooting from the field could definitely help the Knicks uh with what they need. Uh moving on Oklahoma City uh this pick comes from the Paul George trade from the LA Clippers. I got them taking uh AJ Griffin, a freshman uh shooting forward uh small forward excuse me. Um I guess he could be a shooting guard too. Um shooting guard small forward um AJ Griffin six six from Duke. Um He's had injury issues in the past. Um, he had a left knee injury before last season um, at Duke, um, which was part of the reason he was on a minutes restriction uh, for some of this season. Um, he missed his most of his last two years of high school, I was reading, actually, um, with injuries. So his medicals will definitely be important. Um, it could be a reason he maybe slips. Um, but this past year at Duke, averaged 10.4 points a game to go along with 3.9 rebounds, one assist, 44.7% shooting from threes, an elite shooter, um, and then was also shooting 54.7% from the floor. Um, he's not the best defender, but he's got a good frame to develop into a, a, a good defender, and uh, his defense would definitely get better over time, um, especially if he puts on uh, more muscle. Um, but I think he'd be a great pick for the Thunder, considering 
showing how bad they were at shooting last year. As I said before, they were dead last in three-point percentage at 32.3% shooting from three. Um, they were dead last at points per game and also field goal percentage. And uh, A.J. Griffin would be a huge uh, primary part in them uh, fixing uh, their issues in shooting from three points per game and field goal percentage. I think he'd be a great pick for them at 12. Um, and Griffin was a primary part of Duke's Final Four run um, this past uh, year. So, very good player. Um, and obviously, Oklahoma City knows what they're doing. Um, what a great rebuild by Oklahoma City's GM, Sam Presti. Um, in the next five years, I think they could be a powerhouse. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for them. They own 19 first-round picks and 19 second-round picks. And the next eight drafts, which is wild. 38 draft picks over the next eight drafts. So they're going to have their choosing of players in the draft and then also in trades um, trying to get star players. So the really interesting thing about them is that their draft selections, you know, at number 12 here, they could swing and miss at a guy at 12 here. Uh, considering the fact that, you know, they could take a risk on a guy that falls at 12 with, you know, concerns, like let's say Shaden Chop, because that's the luxury of being a team that's rebuilding, you know, rebuilding with 38 draft picks. You could take a stab at a guy like Shop falling at 12. Since you have 38 draft picks over the next eight years, I mean, who cares? Take a swing and a miss. Who cares? You know, that's a really cool thing. And I think Oklahoma City is set up bright for the future. Five years from now, I think they will be an NBA powerhouse. Anyways, moving on now um, to the uh, Charlotte Hornets, um, which I want to make one more last point, actually, about um, Oklahoma City. They could be a powerhouse five years from now, just concerning how many draft picks they have. I mean, who knows? The sky could be the limit for them. Uh, if they hit on some of their draft picks, they could trade for guys with those draft picks. They could trade for a stop player in this year's draft, next year's draft. Um, they could trade up in the draft with all those picks and, and, and take you know the number one pick in the draft. They could do anything with these draft picks. They could trade for a, an established player, like, who knows, let's say a Damian Lillard, Bradley Bill. They could do anything with these draft picks. So I'm really excited to see what Oklahoma City does in the next five years. I think they're set up great for the future. Um, anyways, I'm sorry to get sidetracked. 13th pick, I got a shot at Hornets taken. Um... Mark Williams, a seven-foot uh, sophomore from Duke. Um, he's a center. Um, he averaged 11.2 points per game to go along with 7.4 rebounds, 2.4 blocks. Was a 72.1% shooter from the floor this year. He doesn't contribute much uh, from the perimeter at all. I don't even think he even hit a three. Um, but the Hornets definitely need help uh, desperately at the center position. I believe right now their starting center would be uh, Montrez Harrell. Um, and I think Mark Williams would contribute um, a ton to this team. Seven foot uh, with a 7-7 wingspan, a 9-9 standing reach, uh, which is absolutely nuts. Um, he also uh, is an explosive shot blocker in the paint, protects the rim well, um, as, as well as anyone in the draft, that is. Um, and he, he will contribute immediately on the defensive end in the paint and in the post. Um, his post game definitely got better um, this past year, and he is a lob threat um, as well on the offensive end. He can also finesse some hook shots, too, so I think he could develop that maybe a little bit more in the NBA. He shot 72.7% from the free throw line um, this past season, which was much better um, than his freshman year stat of 53.7%. Um, from the free throw line. So he got better um, this last year. So I think he could be a great pick at 13 to Charlotte. The Charlotte Hornets also have the 15th pick. So um, who knows? Maybe they could take him there. Moving on now to my last pick um, of the lottery picks, the 14th pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I have them taking uh, Ochai Agbaji, um, a 6'6 shooting guard from Kansas. Uh, he's a senior, 22 years old, so he's got a little bit more experience uh, than any other player. That would probably be a lottery pick. Um, 
He was a 2022 NCAA champion, uh, Big 12 Player of the Year, first team All-Big 12. He was the NCAA Final Four, uh, Most Outstanding Player. Um, it was also a first team All-American. Um, he played very well in the Big 12 this year, averaging 20 points per game um, in Big 12 play. Um, he's also 22 years old, um, so he goes to a team where he's just about the same age as guys like Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, who played four years in the NBA, three years respectively in the NBA, um, which is really crazy. Um, but uh, I think he could be a guy like Donovan Mitchell, where he goes from playing four years, Donovan Mitchell's case, playing four years at Louisville, uh, or, or Baji playing four years at Kansas, going into the NBA and just becoming a star right away. I think that could be a potential uh, possibility with him. I think he's going to be a really good player in the NBA. Um, and, and, and Cleveland's set up perfectly. I mean, they could just take anyone here um, and, and, and can make a run. Uh, but out of all the lottery teams, I think Cleveland has the best roster by far. Um, Darius Garland um, and Colin Sexton. Um, Colin Sexton's a, a restricted free agent this year. Um, but that's a great young backcourt th- th- uh, there. Um, then you've got Kevin Love, Isaac Okoro. Uh, Okoro's the fifth pick in the 2020 draft. Um, then you got Evan Mobley, the third pick of the 2021 NBA draft, uh, to go along with Laurie Makinen, uh, Jared Allen. Uh, out of all the lottery teams, I said, I think Cleveland has the best team uh, by far. Um, so I think if they add Agbaje, um the sky's the limit uh, potentially for this team. I think they're going to be a really good team next year, Cleveland. Um, they got a ton of depth and a ton of talent. Um, I don't see why not they can't be a top six team in the Eastern Conference um, next year. Um, Cleveland was 24th um, in blocks per game last year with 4.2 blocks per game. Um, they were middle of the pack um, in shooting uh, from three, 35.5% shooting from three. They were 15th um, in, in shooting from three. And then also were 15th, so middle of the pack once again, um, in rebounds per game at 44.2% uh, rebounds per game. So uh, they were 25th also in scoring per game. 107.8 points per game they average. So they could definitely improve um, on their scoring for sure. Um, they could definitely use a wing like Agbaji. Um, Agbaji averaged 49% shooting from three in March Madness. Um, averaged 13.7 points per game, one and a half blocks per game, one and a half steals per game um, in March Madness. Um, and he definitely will add on the defensive end. He has a pure shot uh, with a quick release. Um, and I think that's the thing. I think definitely uh, that's something that uh, Cleveland could use. Considering the fact, I mean, as I said, Cleveland has so, so much depth, they, they, they could draft any position. They don't really have a, a, a glaring need, at least to me. Uh, but you're looking at Egbaji, he averaged 18.8 points per game uh, this past year um, overall to go along with 5.1 rebounds and 1.6 assists. Shot 47.5% shooting from the floor and 40.7% shooting from three. And that's what Cleveland needs. I mean, they were middle of the pack in shooting from three, middle of the pack in rebounds. Um, which Agbaji's going to help you a little bit on the rebounds, 5.1 points per 5.1 rebounds per game. But he's going to help you with the scoring, you being 25th points per game. Uh, and I think his you know pure shot with a quick release is something that Cleveland could use. Um, so I definitely think he'd be a great pick at 14. Could be a steal of the draft. Um, anyways, um, potential top 15 guys I didn't have go in the top 15. One guy I wouldn't be surprised going in the top uh, 10 range I didn't have being selected here at all in the lottery. Um, is Usman Jang, um, a 6'9", 6'10", uh, small forward um, with a 7-foot wingspan. Uh, one of the most intriguing draft prospects to me, and I'm rooting for him since he's French. Um, he's a French small forward um, who played for the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL uh, this past year. Um, he averaged 8.9 points per game to go along with 3.2 rebounds, 1.1 assists, shot 39.8% from the floor, uh, 27.1% from three, and also had 0.6 steals per game. Um, 
He started off slow in the National Basketball League this past year um, for New Zealand, um, but he did get hot as the year went on and definitely got more comfortable. Um, He can guide the one through four on defense, very versatile defender, um, very elite uh, 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 passing um, as well. He's got elite court vision. Always finds the open, uh, always finds the open player to get the easy bucket. Um, and he was born and raised in France, a southwestern part of the country. So I'll be rooting for him. I do love my uh, French basketball players, um, Frank Nilakina, uh, Nick Batum. Uh, that's just to name a few. Um, so I'll be rooting for him. Uh, hopefully, uh, he's a lottery pick. But I have him going probably around fifteen or sixteen here. Anyways. Um, another guy is Ty Ty Washington, a point guard, 6'4 point guard from the University of Kentucky. Um, he's a freshman, so a young kid. I see him be, I see him being potentially another young star, uh, point guard, uh, in the NBA from Kentucky. I know De'Aaron Fox stepped right into the NBA, um, and was a star right away. Tyler Hero made a mark in the NBA right away. Then you got guys like Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly, Rajon Rondo, Devin Booker, um, Jamal Murray, just to name a few. Kentucky's had a lot of good guys go to the NBA, um, even Malik Monk. Uh, I know he struggled on the Hornets, but this last year with the with the Lakers was was a good player. Had a couple good runs for them, uh, shooting threes. So I think he could be another good guy to play from Kentucky in the NBA. He's had had he has had his injury issues. Um, he was projected to be at one point a top ten to twelve pick in the draft, um, but has now dropped. I think a little bit um, expectations wise. I mean, he still could be a top ten player. Who knows? A top 12, 12 pick. Um, very active defender, gets involved on the defensive end, um, and also plays very hard. That's one thing I like about him. Uh, he never quits. I mean, he's also a good mid-range shooter as well. So we'll want to see where he goes in the draft. So now moving on to my last segment, um, I'm going to talk about the Celtics and Clippers potential draft picks at number 43 and 53. The Celtics have the 53rd pick. The Clippers have the 43rd pick. Um, I think like both teams could use an extra point guard. Um, the Celtics could definitely use a floor general. They need another scorer as well. Um, they could definitely use bench depth. So um, whether it be another center to help Rob Williams get more time and more rest, or or a point guard um, that could you know help at least calm the team down in, in moments. I don't think they're going to have a point guard at 53, at least a starting point guard. They get maybe a guy for the future, maybe a, a draft and stash type of player, but. The Celtics could definitely use another point guard. I think the Clippers could definitely use a point guard as well, since really Reggie Jackson's the only like you know true point guard's going to get a lot of minutes on the Clippers. So I think they could use another point guard as well, um, and maybe another center as well. I think they could use another backup big man um, to go along with Hartenstein and Zubats. Anyways, so now some guys to keep your eyes on for the Celtics and the Clippers draft picks. Uh, Khalifa Diop uh, is the fourth-ranked center on ESPN. He's a 7-1 center playing in Spain right now. Uh, born in Senegal, 20 years old right now. Um, I saw on NBA.com that he won the 2021-2022 Euro Cup uh, Rising Star Trophy um, in the 2021-2022 uh, Euro Cup uh, season, uh, which is the second-tier league in the Euro League, so... Kind of like, I guess, a triple-A in baseball, just a, a, a notch below uh, you know, the big league. So kind of like the G League in the NBA, I guess. Um, he shot 62% from the floor uh, this past season in Spain uh, to go along with 6.5 points per game, 4 rebounds per game, and .7 blocks per game, and an average of 16 minutes um, per game on the floor. So he's very efficient for the time he plays. 6.5 points per game to go along with 4, blocks, uh, four rebounds, excuse me, and just about a block per game isn't bad at all. Uh, I think he could be... I don't think he has the athleticism 
of uh, of Robert Williams. But uh, I think he can move well from a big man. Uh, he has a nice jump hook and also is an alley oop threat. So maybe he can have a similar role uh, to Robert Williams did in his first two to three years, playing you know eight to ten minutes off the bench and getting limited minutes. But I think he's got to keep your eye on. Uh, next, um, Ishmael Kamagati, um, my favorite draft prospect, um, probably in the draft. Um, 6'10", 6'11", center from Paris. Um, he played for the Paris basketball team uh, this past year, 21 years old. He's currently the sixth-ranked center on ESPN. Um, he's born and raised in Paris in the 19th, uh, arrondissement. Um, I would love to see him um, on the Clippers. I'd love to see the Clippers grab him at 43 um, if he's still available. Um, he played in the LNB uh, this past year, which is a basketball league in France, uh, with two professional tiers. Um, he played three years uh, for Paris. Um, he played his last year in, in, in the Pro A division, which is the top tier of the two tiers um, in the French uh, Professional Basketball League. Um, the LNB uh, stands for La Ligue Nationale de Basket um, in France. Um, and he was in LNB All-Star in 2021, was also the recipient and winner of uh, the Best Offender Award in the LNB Pro A division in 2022. So that's the top division in the France Basketball League. He won the Best Defender. So I think he'd be a very versatile player in the NBA. Um, he averaged 11.3 points per game to go along with 6.3 rebounds per game, 0.7 assists per game, shot 64.3% from the floor, um, does not shoot threes at all. So as I said, uh, a lot of big men nowadays shoot threes um, as a way to spread the floor um, and also get themselves um more space so they can drive down the lane and get people, you know, to pump fake. He's not going to really do too much of that. Um, but Kamagati did average 1.6 blocks per game. Uh, he's a great rim protection with great size. Um, as I said, 6'10", 6'11", uh, with a 7'3 wingspan. I mean, and then factor in as well. Um, he's going to put on more muscle, I'm sure. I mean, he's got... Uh, you know, a, a skinnier frame, uh, which I'm sure he's going to put on more muscle um, in the NBA, and he'll probably develop um, a bigger and, and more muscular frame over the next few years. But I think he puts that on more, more frame, uh, more muscle, um, and, and gets a bigger frame. I think he's going to be great uh, potentially in the NBA one day. Um, he's got great athleticism and agility. Um, he's an excellent shot blocker, as I said. Uses the size well um, on offense. He's a lob throughout an alley oops, and he's solid off the pick and roll as well. Um, he actually played um, alongside Celtics 2021 second-round draft selection, um, Juwan Begaron, um, who I'm a big fan of as well. Um, I actually predicted the Celtics drafting him uh, last year with the 45th pick. Um, so hopefully this year, uh, one of my teams, either the Clippers or the Celtics, gets Kamigati. Uh, but anyways, I saw some of Kamigati's highlights uh, from this past year of, of Begaron and him utilizing the pick-and-roll to slice up defenses. Uh, Begaron had a solid season, actually, for Paris. Um, 11.1 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.5 steals, um, to go along with 30.9% shooting from three. Um, he's a solid shooting guard prospect that I think that, that I think will develop um, into a Celtics role player one day off the bench. Hopefully in my eyes. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, but anyways, Paris did struggle this year with Kamagati and Begaron on the team in the 2021-2022 NBL LNB season. Excuse me. Um, they were 13-21 um, in the Pro-A um, BetClick uh, Elite Division, so the top division of the LNB. Um, Kamagati and Begarin uh, were 23-11 uh, uh, in the Pro-B division together last year uh, for Paris in the 2020-2021 uh, LNB season. But moving up to the Pro-A division, uh, Begarin and Kamagati, uh, their team struggled 13-21. But uh, Kamagati did average more points per game in the A division than he did in the B division. He averaged 11.3 points per game this year in the A division compared to 
8.9s per uh, 8.9 points per game last year in the B division. So I, I see Kamagati being selected around 30 to 40, maybe 45. Uh, but I think he's going to be potentially a steal of the second round. If he's a second round pick, that is an absolute steal, and I would love to see the Celtics or Clippers get him. I think he could contribute uh, on both ends uh, for either team. Um, next. Uh, Hugo Basson is a 6'6 point guard, 21 years old. He's a 7th ranked point guard right now at ESPN. He played for the New Zealand Breakers um, in the last year. He averaged 13.9 points per game for them, uh, 3.9 rebounds, 2.5 assists to go along with 38.5% uh, shooting from the floor and 30.6% shooting from 3. Um, he plays with an edge and hustles, uh, which I really like. He's a good mind for the game and it has nice handles. A lot of scouts uh, big fans of his uh, his ability to dribble. Um, he's not the most consistent shooter though, uh, so he will definitely have to improve there. Um, it definitely has a lot more muscle to put on, too, um, since he has a skinnier frame as well. Um, but born and raised in France, so once again, another French uh, uh, another French player that I'm a big fan of, Hugo Besson. I would love to see the Clippers and the Celtics uh, get him in a draft and stash uh, move. Since I think both teams, I think they both need a point guard for this season, but I mean, let's say Besson were to come over um, and be uh, a potential draft pick signing uh, for the season, I think he could contribute off the bench for both teams. I think he'd be a really good pick. Um, Anyways, keeping it in the international uh, gems, uh, in my eyes, Matteo Spagnolo, a 6'4 point guard from Italy, 19 years old. Uh, he averaged uh, 12.2 uh, points per game this past season, 44% shooting from the floor, 44.1% shooting from three. So a very good shooter uh, to go along with three and a half rebounds per game, 2.6 assists per game, um, and then point steals, 0.8 steals um, per game, along with 86.1% shooting from the free throw line. So uh, a very good shooter, as you can see, 44.1% shooting from three, 86.1% shooting uh, from the free throw line. Um, one thing about him is that uh, Spagnola is not too great of a finisher, um, and that's probably one thing uh, that's going to hurt him uh, a, a little bit maybe in his draft stock. He'll probably be in a draft stash uh, type of guy. Um, the 19-year-old uh, point guard played this year uh, for Real Madrid, I believe. Let me see. Yes, uh, he is on loan from Real Madrid playing in Italy um, this year. Um, so um, I guess Real Madrid owns the rights to him. Uh, in, in Europe, but I guess he's on. Uh, he's playing for um, an, an Italian team uh, this season. But, anyways, I think he could be a good player, though. Uh, I think one thing about him is that he's really young, nineteen years old, as I said. Um, but he's a very good shooter off the dribble, very good passer. Um, and another thing is that he's probably a drafted stash player like Passan, like I said. Um, and I know people say he's not a great finisher at the rim, and I saw online on ESPN that he finished forty six point. Uh, 46% um, uh, at the rim, um, so he definitely has to improve there. But I think over time, I think he will get better there. I mean, he's probably a draft and stash player like Basson. Um, anyways, another guy to move on to um, is Alondis Williams, six-five uh, point guard, shooting guard from Wake Forest, a senior. Um, is the 2021-2022 ACC Player of the Year. Uh, 18.5 points per game to go along with 6.4 rebounds per game, 5.2 assists per game, 1.2 steals per game. He shot 28.2% from three, so he's not the best shooter, but was 50.7% from the floor in general, so uh, that's not too bad. He's a very good defensive guard, can create his own shot very well, and can, can score the ball, which the Celtics and Clippers could both use another score. I, I guess the Celtics more than the Clippers. The Clippers don't really need another score, but a uh, point guard the Clippers could definitely use, but uh, the Celtics could definitely use Alondis Williams. Uh, they could definitely use him desperately off the bench. Um, as seen in the NBA Finals, uh, the Celtics' weakness was bench scoring and depth scoring. Um, and Alondis Williams... 
I guess shooting is his weakness, 27%. Shooting from three, that is, uh, was his weakness, 27% shooting from three um, in college. But did shoot 50.7% from the floor um, this past year. So um, I think at the end of the day, um, I think he can improve on his three-point shooting um, in the NBA. Um, and hopefully the Celtics draft, and I think he'd be a great draft pick. Anyways, my last guy I want to highlight, a 6'3 point guard out of Alabama, J.D. Davidson, averaged 8.5 points per game this past year to go along with 4.8 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists to go along with the steal. Um, he does turn the ball over a ton, so I guess he wouldn't fit in uh, too well with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum since they love turning the ball over a ton too. Um, he had the highest turnover ratio uh, per 100 possessions on the Alabama basketball team this year, um, but he did have 9.2 assists per 100 possessions um, this past year. Um, and he's not the best scorer, but I think he could be a project for the future. I think he'd be a solid draft pick, uh, you know, if he were to play in the G League for a couple of years for the Celtics or the Clippers, I think he'd be um, a solid acquisition. But anyways, that wraps up my NBA draft, NBA final special. Um, the NBA draft, I think the coverage starts at 7.30 tonight, as I said, on ESPN and ABC. Um, I think... Uh, the draft starts itself at 8 o'clock. Um, and as I said, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i go over my first few picks again really quick. The first five guys. Um, I'll just say them really quick. Number one, I have Jabari Smith. Power forward, uh, 6'10 from Auburn. As I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Paula Bunkero was the first overall pick. I think there's a chance. Uh, I think there's a good chance he's the first overall pick. Uh, I think it's probably 50-50 between Jabari Smith Jr. and, and Paula Bunkero being the first pick. Um, but... Uh, as of now, I think Jabari Smith, in my eyes, will be the first pick. Um, but I think Boncaro is a very safe player as well to take. Um, I think it's 50-50 between those two guys. And my mock draft, my original one I made uh, two days ago, I think I had Boncaro going number one. Or yesterday, I had Boncaro going number one. Then today, I made a new one um, and switched it up and had Boncaro uh, going number two and Smith going number one. But I think I think they could flip-flop. Uh, who knows? But I, I think as of now, I think Smith's the number one pick. I think Boncaro goes number two to Oklahoma City. I think Holmgren goes number three to Houston. I think four is Keegan Murray to Sacramento, uh, and I think five, Shaden Shop to Detroit. Um, but hopefully it's a good NBA draft. I'm sure there'll be a lot of trades, um, a lot of speculation about uh, Kyrie Irving. We'll probably talk about a ton tonight uh, during the NBA draft and uh, what the Nets' future will be like. Uh, but I'm excited to see how the NBA draft pans out. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I'll probably be back with another episode in the next day or two. Uh, I want to talk about the Red Sox, College World Series, um, and a couple other things, the NBA, NHL, uh, Stanley Cup. Uh, finals and how that's been going. I want to talk about uh, a ton. So thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back on in the next few days. Have a good night. Enjoy the NBA draft. Thank you. Take it easy and have a good one. Thank you.